Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Independence of me, Ernest Hancock, another independence declaring kind of individual, uh, 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 Mr. Ian Freeman, Free Talk Live. Now this is um, we're gonna we're gonna get into you know having some fun. I just want to real quick. We've been having problems technical. The man, I mean it's the man, you know something the man. But uh, it, you know it just it it's all, yeah, always you never know. What we're gonna do is um, the Free State Project for those that don't know was an idea of a young man from Yale, I think it was, that came up, you know, if you could have enough freedom-oriented libertarian types go into a small state and um, be able to have influence there in the community and the legislature, then you might be able to have a beachhead for freedom somewhere in the country, United States, America. Well, they came and put tables up and so on early in, God, like 2003, two, four, around in there at our Freedom Summits in Arizona. So we knew about it going in. Our only Freedom Summit that we had outside of Arizona was in Manchester in like 05, around there, I think. And it was um, a good idea. We could see where it would go. And it took people like Ian to go, yep. From Florida, as a talk show host there, he's like, I'm going to New Hampshire. We're going to go be somebody. Well, he came. And it's always the freedom-oriented issues. What's the proper role of government? Are they there to defend individual rights, or are they the ones taking them away? Are they supportive of gun rights? You know, um, uh, currency that belongs to the people. What about trading in silver? What about barter? How, how, how bad is the IRS, you know? And how difficult was it to get legislators? Well, dozens and dozens of liberty-oriented legislators are there. So there was a ripe opportunity for Ian and Mark Edge to come in and take their show, Free Talk Live, that built up to over 200 affiliates around the nation, which is definitely one good reason to, eh, we don't like it, you know, being the man. So I, I wanted to, he has a controversy now that's going to, threatens his uh, freedom for decades. And what happened was, in the promotion of 
cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and goldbacks and silver to bring the power and the anonymity back to the individual in their commerce and their dealings with their fellow citizens, their, their neighbors. I don't even want to say citizens. But, you know, this has been a really good example. And one thing that Ian has always promoted, don't take the plea deal. Now, there were six people called the Crypto Six that were arrested, and really the target, I think, is Ian. But what happens is, you know, they threaten you with decades and decades, unless you sign here and you make us a deal. Well, I'm not for making deals with the government, you know, and got stories on that. But Ian didn't do the plea deal. Threatened with decades. Well, now it's come down to guilty, 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 and we're at sentencing. There's going to be appeals. There's going to be fine arguments on every little piece of law on this. And I want Ian to go ahead and we'll go back before. We'll go back to where you first arrived. A lot of your Keeney acts and your activism and so on there. You came, you know, you, you had that Chinese curse. You, you, you lived in interesting times. You came to the attention of important people. So, you know, they're coming after you. So there, this is not the first time. There's been several times, and a lot of us in the freedom community have stuck stuck with Ian, you know, because, you know, he's been representative of the kind of pushback that we need that we've been missing. Well, they don't like that. So go ahead, Ian. When you first heard about the Free State Project, what your experiences were going there, the leadership that you've demonstrated, the opposition that you've gotten from even inside the community. But now you had at your sentencing, that was on September 11th, of course, you know, you go there and um, they postponed it, but you had, God, dozens, a hundred people there or something in support of you. And then we, yeah. what you see up on the screen here is a uh, just a minute and a half interview that you did for one of the local television now do you want to start with that or you just want to go ahead and take it because i'm gonna it's gonna be all you you know ian he, he, no dead air on his show so he's <laughs> gonna take care of business but um you know whenever you want this played let me know otherwise we're just gonna have you monologue your story now that we got a good connection and everything so go ahead ian entertain us right. man information uh- well, I mean, it's your show, Ernie. I wouldn't tell you which order to, to do things, but you asked me about uh, early days. And in the earliest days of uh, New Hampshire as being selected by the Free State Project's membership, they uh, early movers came in. I was an earlier mover. I was, I think, mover 150. And uh, But mover number 50 was Dave Ridley, who uh, you may know from the yeah. Ridley Report, which yeah. he's, by the way, back on the Ridley Report now. For those that have been missing that, he's back. Um, he was approached by an FBI agent named Phil Christiana in 2005. So this was more than a year before I moved up. And uh, Phil Christiana wanted to know if any of his Free Stater friends were inclined to violence. And of course, Dave told him, no, it's a peaceful movement. There aren't violent people here. We don't welcome, if they show up, if people show up and they're acting violent or talking about violence, they're not generally welcomed within uh, our community. And uh, unfortunately, that was not the end of Phil Christiana's visits to Keene and his interest in the Free Staters, but likely just the beginning of it. 
as he came back uh, in probably more times. I know I think he talked to Kurt Hoffman at one point or tried to. I think he failed to talk to, to Kurt Hoffman after that a couple of years after. And then, uh, and, and then he was another mover. Um, and then in 2012, then they set up my friend who was then known as Rich Paul. He changed his name subsequently to Nobody to run for governor here in New Hampshire. Vote for he nobody. was targeted by, yep, uh, he was targeted by Phil Christiana and uh, set up, he was selling cannabis in the Keene area and they arrested him using an undercover, uh, well, not an undercover, using an informant, somebody that they had already arrested for selling heroin. The informant was selling heroin. So they told the informant, we'll let you off the heroin dealing charges if you help us bust this marijuana dealer, my friend, nobody. So they used the heroin dealer to make some purchases undercover with, you know, video and audio from my friend. And then they ultimately arrested uh, my friend. And then as soon as he was arrested by the Keene police, they took him to the police station where Phil Christiana was waiting for him. And Phil wanted him to uh, wear, agree to wear a wire into the, then the Keene Activist Center, which was kind of a, a place where different activists in the area would get together to hang out and plot things or whatever. And so Christiana wanted him to wear a wire and uh, Rich refused to do that. Uh, and he said, you're just going to have to you know, prosecute me because they were, they were saying they'd drop the marijuana charges if he would just wear a wire into the Keene Activist Center, which he refused to do. So they prosecuted him and he spent a year in jail uh, for selling cannabis. So that was another instance with, uh, with Phil Christiana. And, uh, so this guy is the person who is also the agent in charge of the agent who did the investigation into the crypto six, as we are called, you mentioned the six people that were arrested for selling cryptocurrency without asking government permission, which none of us, of course, um, you know, thought we had to do here in New Hampshire. They actually specifically said that, uh, selling Bitcoin, directly to another person does not require any kind of government license. Uh, we even had a, an opinion from an attorney, Seth Hipple, who wrote a four-page opinion letter after he researched both the federal and the state law on uh, money transmitting and money services business, these legal terms. And he said that what we were doing did not qualify and on either the state level or the federal level under those uh, those particular rules. So According to our beliefs, even under their own rules, what we were doing wasn't uh, wasn't illegal. But that didn't stop them, of course, from investigating us for five years and then bringing dozens of criminal charges five uh, years? against us. And as you, yeah, the um, the investigation went on for quite a long time, including twenty four hour surveillance of my house. Okay, now now months. this agent that you know made a project of you guys. Why? I mean, is he? you know, kind of a stand-up America kind of guy, or is he just a, you know, tool of, you know, they, them, those, or he was looking for job well, I mean, security? Course, I mean, uh, what? Well, I mean, he's just doing what the FBI does. I mean, that's not uncommon for them to investigate political movements. Uh, I mean, they they have agents embedded everywhere from Antifa to white nationalists to, you know, hard leftists to the Free State Project. I mean, they are obsessed with knowing about any kind of movement that could change uh, the status quo. And this has been true since the beginning of the FBI. In fact, I think um, Mark Edge, my co-host on Free Talk Live, was interviewing a former FBI agent once uh, who said that it's about half of the FBI is designated towards investigating, you know, purported, purported crimes 
And then the other half is dedicated to infiltrating political movements. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's what he's doing. He's investigating a movement that is, uh, you know, gaining headway. Uh, In 2005, it had the potential of of gaining headway and it had a lot of buzz behind it. And of course, now we've had uh, 20,000 people at least sign up for the Free State Project. That number was reached in 2016 and that triggered the move, as they called it. But of course, people have been moving uh, for a decade prior to that. But now it's, you know, it was official in the Free State Project move has now happened and uh, i don't know what the numbers are at i, I expect it's somewhere at around the range of you know several thousand people have moved here i'll we tell know you one really number that they're worried about in is how, how many legislators you guys have elected you know so how how many sure. um legislators in at any one time the maximum that that doesn't mean there's been some come in and out and in and out but at the maximum how many legislators are have there been from the uh, Free State Project or Free State endorsed in the legislature? Well, if we were to count all of them that have been in and out, it would probably be like over 100. But, but right now, it's like 50-something all at once. So we have about, um, as I understand it, there's 400 people in the uh, the New Hampshire legislature. So we've got a, you know, a good chunk, uh, an eighth roughly of... Uh, of the state house. And that's a, that's a pretty good start considering most libertarians have no elected people anywhere uh, except for maybe dog catcher or uh, soil and water conservation boards uh, around the country. So here the libertarians are running as Democrats and Republicans and are getting elected primarily as Republicans, but some have been elected as Democrats and even more are infiltrating the democratic party as we speak. They're super paranoid about that, by the way. Um, they just came out with a 24-page um, piece, which the Free State Project just posted today, all about how the free staters are a threat to democracy, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. So they're they're constantly on the attack against the free staters here in New Hampshire, and that's because the free staters are actually successful. We are actual libertarians who are winning, and uh, most libertarians out there don't understand what that's like because they've never won anything. And they never will win anything because there aren't enough libertarians, which, of course, is the whole point behind the Free State Project is to uh, concentrate as much activism and as many activists into the same geographic area. In this case, a very small, low population geographic area so as to have an impact. Well, the big uh, problem has been that you're considered a big influencer on getting people to move. And when you go to the Porcupine Freedom Festival, Pork Fest, which is in uh, in the June in northern New Hampshire by Lancaster at Rogers Campground, which has been like a, a thing. I think I've gone to, I don't know, last 15 or something. I've been going since 08. And uh, mm-hmm. I never planned to go. I just always wind up going because <laughs> it's hot in Phoenix, man. You know, but yeah. uh, um, so it's been very interesting to see you know the wave the interest the numbers the issues that you know the, the interest of the man you know how many times cnn and npr shows up you know that kind of thing and what has happened is you've been very influential a lot of people from around the world and certainly the country that learned of it from you and mark and they're going you know we're, we're going well i can see why that's such a threat that they, them, those that don't want to give up any influence or power because it's that's why they're going after the influencers. It's always the podcast, the YouTubers, the activists, the so on. They, they're like, oh, man, they're they're inspiring. Inspiration is a dangerous thing. 
And, you know, we've experienced, you know, our share. But the point is, is I can see why they're targeting, they're surveilling all your correspondence. They, you know, tap into your Wi-Fi. They're, you know, they're kicking in your door, I don't know, more than once. So this, but every time the community comes back, make sure you got the equipment that you need. They got some, they lend, they buy, they amazon they want, whatever the crap they got to do to keep it going. And it just has to piss them off. And the, when you start naming names, you know, they don't like that either. So, mm-hmm. and then it, it's a lot of, one of the things when the Crypto 6 thing happened, we have good friends, Derek J and um, uh, uh, Stephen. They live in Portsmouth, which is a coastal town, uh, uh, southeastern New Hampshire. And they had a thing called AnyPay that was very convenient for retail outlets and restaurants and so on to make use of several cryptos. And they, that was yeah. the point. They didn't make it easy. After your arrest, they didn't think they did anything wrong either. But the FBI, like following them on the streets or walking down the side, just talk to us, talk to us, answer the door, talk to us. Nope, don't want to. Intimidated them enough, they went to the Mediterranean. I think now they're in the Caribbean or something. They said, and we're at it. They made it clear, okay? So this is how they operate. But Ian would not be intimidated. No. Make them make you, make them say it, okay? So this wound up with you getting arrested. So talk about the what you were doing that they are using against you. You guys had, the, you know, the... Uh, the Shire Society Church, you know, you talk about that, talk about yeah. your ATMs that you did, talk about being open and upfront about everything that you were doing and what they used or excused to rage you. You know, tell us. Yeah. About uh, so we formed the Shire Free Church back in 2013 as a, uh, um, a peace church. So the mission of the church is to foster peace. It's an interfaith church. Uh, which means that there's not one particular faith, but people of all faiths are welcome as long as they are peace advocates. So you can't be a Christian and be a pro-war Christian and be in the Shire Free Church. You can't be a pro-war Muslim and be in the Shire Free Church. You have to be a peace advocate. And so um, after over a year of the church being around, and and the church runs Free Talk Live, that's essentially our online ministry, our uh, radio or broadcast ministry, and uh, so I caught the vision to help people get in touch with uh, or get connected with being able to buy Bitcoin at the, you know, the lowest possible price that could make it viable to do that. And the reason why is because I see Bitcoin as and cryptocurrency in general as a tool for peace. And what I mean by that is the government money is, of course, a tool for war. And that's what we've seen them do over decades now yeah. is printing endless trillions of dollars without the federal reserve you don't have wars that's right uh and that's true for all central banks but uh but you know they go to war they go to endless war and that means a massive wealth transfer from peaceful people people who might support peace to warmongers and the military industrial complex so i saw bitcoin and see still see bitcoin and gold and silver and other alternatives that aren't uh related directly to the dollar the, as, a, as a way out for people who want to get their wealth out of that system. Because as long as you have your wealth in dollars, 
then they can essentially tax it through the inflation tax, which is what they do when they print money is they're ad adding more money to the money supply. And that's why we see prices go up, which of course the mainstream media is constantly misreporting what inflation actually is. They seem to think it's just an increase in prices, but that's actually the symptom of inflation, inflation being the increase in the money supply. So how do you protect yourself from this? You get into the alternatives, precious metals, cryptocurrency. And so cryptocurrency um, was, we were in connect, you know, connection with some of the people in, in New Hampshire here who were developing Bitcoin vending machines like the folks over at Lamasu, uh, which was created in Manchester. So I was familiar with the technology and decided that we were going to go ahead and put a Bitcoin vending machine here in Keene and make it available to the public. Anybody who wanted to, uh, to purchase Bitcoin could do so at that time. We were the only uh, Bitcoin vending machine in the region. There was nothing in Vermont. There was nothing, I don't think, in Massachusetts, uh, nothing in Maine. So we were the only, uh, only one doing that. And after some time, there, were, there was some news coverage about this. Uh, there was an article that made it into the Concord Monitor. And of course, that's the capital of New Hampshire. Yeah. That's where the bureaucracies are. And um, if our vending machine wasn't on the radar of the regulators yet, it certainly was as of that article. And there later on uh, were some hearings at the New Hampshire State House. They had created this commission to study cryptocurrency and the banking regulators uh, had sent their person to this particular commission. And she, uh, her name's Marion Torben Desfasis. She spoke and she was talking about Bitcoin vending machines and at the time, there were only two in New Hampshire, and Shire Free Church was operating both of them. One of them was in Manchester, and one of them was in Keene. So when she was talking about the Bitcoin vending machines, she was talking about our machines, because she couldn't have been talking about anyone else's. Um, and she said, uh, quote, we don't regulate that, meaning that the Shire Free Church machines sold from their own wallets. Uh, we had a, what they call a hot wallet, which had some amount of Bitcoin in it. And when people would purchase the Bitcoin, the wallet amount would uh, would go down. So what some machines do, which might better be called Bitcoin ATMs or whatever, we like Bitcoin vending machine. Um, but these other machines, they connect the buyer to an exchange. So the machine itself doesn't actually own its own Bitcoin. It's just acting as a middleman uh, between the buyer and, their ex and this, the machine's exchange. And so therefore, um, there's an argument that that would be um, money transmission under the government's right. definition of, of money transmission. So we didn't want to be involved in, in money transmission, and the church had enough Bitcoin to be able to facilitate this. So we were just selling directly to people. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, down. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Tired of the ever-inflating U.S. dollar? You can live your life on Dash instead with some handy websites. BitRefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big-name retailers and brands including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. Plus, many of their gift cards are available at a discount. But what about paying your bills? Spritz.finance can do that, and they can send dollars to your bank account in case you still need those for some reason. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. 
Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Roads? It's the Ernest Hancock Show. Where we're going, there aren't any roads. This hour of Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant, irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're continuing our conversation with Ian Freeman of the Crypto Six and talk show host for Free Talk Live, owner of Liberty Radio Network, talking about the FBI and DOJ prosecution of them dealing in cryptocurrency as the people's money in New Hampshire. So we didn't want to be involved in, in money transmission, and the church had enough Bitcoin to be able to facilitate this. So we were just selling directly to people. So it was just a, just a direct sale um, from one wallet to another, and this went on for, uh, for quite some time. At some point, I decided uh, that somebody introduced me to localbitcoins.com, and I thought this would be a great way to expand our, our mission to spread Bitcoin. And so uh, I began selling on local Bitcoins as well as another way to get people to be able to purchase Bitcoin uh, at hopefully a competitive price to what was out there. In fact, our Bitcoin vending machines were nearly always the lowest priced in the region after finally other people uh, decided to jump into the uh, the industry. There OK, were, now other you know, ATMs... now there's over 100 machines in New Hampshire. Go ahead. Well, those others, are they under attack? And why aren't they? You know, I mean, what, what, how did you get singled out after? Because you were an inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, the Shire Free Church paved the way for these others to be operating in New Hampshire. Um, you know, we showed that it was, well, until my, until my house was raided, it seemed like it was pretty safe. But um, these other ones, I presume they've gotten a bunch of government paperwork and permission slips and that sort of thing. So it turns out if you have a government permission slip and then somebody buys Bitcoin through your Bitcoin vending machine and they got scammed by somebody on the Internet and they're buying for their their scammer, uh, then you are completely protected, it seems like, because uh, all those other people, they didn't get charged criminally. Uh, every bank teller who sent away somebody, some poor uh, scam victim's life savings, not a single one of those people has been charged. Uh, but they did come after me and my friends, and uh, essentially they are—they charged us with, of course, dozens of different things. Um, Seventeen of my charges were dropped before trial, and I went to trial on eight counts. Uh, one of them is so-called money transmission without a license, uh, and then there was another conspiracy to do money transmission, 
And then there's uh, four counts of so-called tax evasion. There was one money laundering charge with an undercover agent pretending to be a drug dealer, uh, which the judge has subsequently dropped after the jury found me guilty of. And now the prosecution is appealing that to the appeals court saying that the judge made a mistake and he shouldn't have dropped that. So that one's under uh, some dispute right now. And then there is a money laundering conspiracy uh, or conspiracy to money launder where they're alleging that I was knowingly uh, helping online scammers bilk people out of their life savings online, which, of course, there's not a shred of evidence. Yeah. For. How did they make so, that case for the jury, though? Well, turns out, Ernie, uh, that even though it doesn't mention it in the law itself, there's something, uh, some kind of court precedent, I guess, called willful blindness. And uh, essentially, willful blindness means that there's something that's so in your face, obvious, that is illegal going on, that if you pretend to not notice it, they say you're part of it, essentially. And so they essentially said that because the some of my buyers were older um, of retirement age that therefore uh, I should have known that they were being taken advantage of or something like that I mean it was the most ridiculous innuendo uh, they suggested at one point that because they weren't typing you know they, you know how people on the internet just they cut corners when they type right they use shorthand or uh, internet speak, etc., things like that. They said, oh, well, these elderly people would never type in the way that some of these people were typing, and so therefore you should have known uh, that you were dealing with a, a scam artist. I had no idea that I was dealing with scam artists. I found out later when the discovery came in uh, about these scam victims, but I did not know uh, at the time. There were a couple of times when it was brought to my attention while I was selling Bitcoin and in those times, I did work with the police uh, who were investigating the, these cases and handed over as much information as I could because I don't believe in scams and I don't support them and I'll do whatever I can. Well, let's to, talk about uh, that, what that meant. There is a, you know, it's like you get the email. I'm Nigerian prince. It's got a, you'll get rich if you work with my whatever the heck. Or, you know, I love you, Luck. I like your picture of whatever the heck it was. Okay. They had a lot of people that there's these scams all over and they got taken advantage of. And these people told them, they go, because it is a, a lot more anonymity and then get away with a lot of stuff. And online, you need to go get Bitcoin. You know, this is how you do it. We can, whatever I need to save the, whatever the heck scam it was. And they got these people to go and take out money and go get Bitcoin, which they did. Yeah, You facilitated that by existing. Okay. And they go, uh, well, see, they got scammed and you helped. But if you were a bank teller, they don't get in trouble. You know, even these other ATMs with Bitcoin don't get in trouble. This is one yeah. thing, because we went through this with uh, a good friend of mine that was uh, worked with Freedoms Phoenix named uh, Thomas Costanzo. Morpheus. Morpheus right. Yeah. Morpheus. Um, he did a couple of years' time. But same kind of thing. He was out in the open. He was on local Bitcoin. He's on Craigslist. I'm, you know, um, he had the East Valley in the Phoenix area. That's why they had Westside Bitcoin, which later became Phoenix Crypto, because he had the East, they had the West. He just didn't overlap. They were friends, and, you know, that's how it happened. Well, what happened was they set him up a stand going, well, I am a Russian drug dealer, and I need to have, and he's like, I don't need to hear that crowd care. He's like, didn't believe him because he goes, 
Russian drug dealers don't go around telling you they're Russian drug dealers. I'm just saying, you know. But the uh, because he didn't stop the transaction, boom, got him for money laundering, whatever the heck they yep. did. What was yeah. interesting to me, we went to all the the hearings and so on during this process, was the Bordier, was the jury selection. Anybody mm-hmm. that knew anything about crypto, they dismissed them. They don't want you to know anything. Well, goes, they go, will right. you, you know, abide by the expert decision of the prosecution brings in, they say, and you, he goes, no, not if I... I know how Bitcoin works. I mine. If they and you're excused, okay. You're gone. Anybody that knew anything about jury nullification, and you're gone, okay. So this is when I I hear these things and how your case went. Were you there during the uh, jury selection process? How 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 scandemic was that? Same thing. Uh, Anyone that knew anything about cryptocurrency was rejected. Uh, with the exception of one guy who said he was critical of uh, cryptocurrency, and we chose not to reject him simply because uh, my attorney described him as a potential wild card. And my initial thought was that he should be rejected, um, but you know, I, I kind of listened to my attorney in that case because, well, you know, this guy was a programmer. He's around people who are into crypto. He's just he wasn't convinced on it, is the way it sounded. And uh, as it turned out, he ended up being the foreman of the jury. And I think that he definitely, I mean, just my speculation, he, he definitely, I think, led the jury to, to convict me. So probably was a mistake to, uh, to keep him on the jury, but we, uh, you know, we rolled the dice with that one. You know, uh, it was Morpheus's case that is, was also like mine in that he didn't take a plea deal. Uh, he's one of the few crypto people over the last half a decade plus of cases and I was well aware of his case when that was going on and well aware of other cases where other local Bitcoin sellers were targeted. And most of the time, they would charge them with money transmission, quote unquote, and, and, and they would always do this Russian heroin dealer thing. Like every time, uh, it was the same exact uh, approach from the feds, same undercover kind of uh, setup. And most of... Hmm? Well, it worked once. We'll do it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, it kept working. It was working many, many, many times. In fact, what you would end up seeing was the people who were uh, the local Bitcoin sellers would, as Morpheus unfortunately did, uh, would go ahead and make the sale after the person said that they were a, a heroin dealer. And unfortunately, that's textbook money laundering. And so looking at the charges that they had against them and uh, intimidated, of course, by them, 99% of them, with the exception of Morpheus, went ahead and took the plea deal and they pled to either a money laundering count or they would drop the money laundering count and they would plead to the money transmission. And my thought at the time was, well, looking at these cases, not a single one of these people actually ended up going to trial for money transmission. And I'm thinking, they don't actually have a case for money transmission. They, I don't think they, I don't think they think they can win a case for money, uh, for money transmission. Right. That's why they always bring the money laundering count, which yeah. is a much bigger count with a maximum of 20 years in prison. Uh, money, lo- money transmission is just a maximum of five. I mean, it's still a lot for, for anybody, but nowhere near as bad as 20. So um, my thought was, well, I mean, I'm not going to fall for this Russian heroin dealer trick. So they're going to have to just bring a money transmission count against me. And then I want to fight it. Well, Turns out they tried the Russian heroin dealer trick with me, and I told them, I'm not going to sell you Bitcoin. 
because of what you told me you do for a living. And then I, uh, then he came back to one of our crypto meetups and he, uh, at the end of the meetup, he asked me if the machine, the vending machine was still running in Keen. And I told him it was, and he said, well, can I use it? And I said, I can't tell you, you can use that. Okay. And he said, all right. Okay. And that was the end of the conversation. So they brought a money laundering charge against me for selling to the Russian heroin dealer when he went to the vending machine and put $20,000 apparently uh, into the machine. I didn't give him permission to do that. I didn't tell him it was okay uh, to do that. But essentially the government's argument was that I didn't tell him no explicitly yeah. enough. I, I didn't specifically you didn't, you didn't tell him You didn't guard the machine with your machine gun. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I did not give him the approval and I told him I would not sell to him, which is why he went to the machine to buy from it anyway. I suspect he would have gone to the machine if I'd given a more explicit uh, denial. But I said, look, I can't tell you that you can use that. OK. And he said, all right. OK. That sounds to me like he's not going to go to the machine. You know, I want to make this um, this point. So they convicted you. me of that. Anyway, you know, all right. <sighs> Morpheus, um, when he went through this process, the judge was probably better than most. There was a bunch of judges didn't want to do it. They were afraid, you know. They the the federal marshals were in there, and they're you know all oh security thing. They're going to storm the building and free their Morpheus friends, like it's a, a scene out of the Matrix or something. And we're just like, who are you people? What the heck? And they were really upset. A lot of the guys were videotaping. Well, they had videotape of a lot of the, the federal guys coming in, going out. So they were out and, you know, some of their informants or so on, you know, that they didn't like that at all, you know, but the, um, and they didn't probably didn't even know they were the informants or whatever. They were just videotaping what's going on and they freaked and life sucks. We can videotape outside certainly, but the, uh, that's another thing we'll talk about. They wanted to stop you from being able to videotape in, and you had activists that were videotaping, and they got arrested, and we'll talk about that. But um, the judge liked Thomas. He thought he was a straight-up guy. He didn't, and, and the prosecution would play tapes of him saying, ah, I hate the central banks, they suck, and the IRS suck, and they all suck, and government sucks. And they go, listen to this jury, he says the government sucks, you know, and I'm like, well, they must have had all municipal employees or something on the jury because, you, mm -hmm. you know, who doesn't think that? But anyway, so um, at the end of this, in the sentencing, I sat there and heard the judge say, you know, Thomas seems like a stand-up guy. I wouldn't mind having coffee with him. You know, it's all good. Yeah. You know, he was like, they, and he was really admonishing the prosecution because he kept wanting to get financial institution. They wanted you to be labeled as a financial institute. You're doing things at financial institute. You're trying to take over some of the central bank job and you're not supposed to and you can't and we're going to stop you. That kind of thing. Well, they couldn't get that. And they just, you know, the judge, nope, not doing it, not doing it. And they didn't get that. That was their real goal, was to try and classify what you're doing as a financial institution, giving them jurisdiction. All this other money laundering stuff, all the other stuff, throwing up the little ladies, whatever the heck they got to do was camouflage for them wanting to get this financial institution thing so they can have you know, the ability to regulate. Well, I was in, it was just May, this last May, I was in, I happened to be in New York visiting family while I was up here in New England. And I talked to uh, 
Theo Chino, Chino Theo. I don't know if you remember, he was, you know, a guy, a Bitcoin guy that tried to follow the law in New York City. He was had a bunch of uh, exchanges, you know, he was selling Bitcoin and promoting it at the little bodegas, these little store, general stores are on all the corners and so on, because right. he saw a good way of doing it. Everybody all mm. in Harlem, where he was, a lot of people had these phone cards. Well, you get a discount if you use crypto at these places. So that's how he was introducing crypto. Well, then the New York uh, Department of Financial Services or whatever, they were trying to trick everybody. This is when, you know, uh, Charlie got arrested when they were doing with Eric Voorhees and they were early on trying to be $8,000 a day. They're paying for attorneys to try and comply with everything. They didn't want you to comply. They didn't need, they created a new regulation that had all these board members that then went to work as lobbyists for the crypto industry. While they were saying you couldn't, couldn't get, you know, uh, licenses and so on, well, Theo was, hey, I'll comply. You got that in there? Okay, well, I'm applying. I want to be able to do this. Eh, that's not really for you. You know, you're not allowed. So this was... So he got heavily involved in Morpheus's case. He was following that, mm-hmm. talking with attorneys, flew out to Arizona, came on the show in the studio there. You know, that when I was just in May in New York, he saw on the site or something that I was in New York, hey, you're not going to call a brother up? What's up? So he calls me, and we were talking. I just didn't have time to go visit him. We were talking. While we were talking, he said he just got a communication from Morpheus that he was sitting down for coffee with the judge. This was, you know, the judge, and true to his word, after he was off probation and everything, he went wow. and had a meeting, a meal with the judge. And I'm going, I still haven't heard that story yet, so I, want, I definitely want to hear about that. So these, sure. you know, th- th- a lot of these guys, they're not bad people. They're doing, you know, went through their due diligence. You did. You're like, no, we're going to have freedom-oriented people's money whether you like it or not, and we went and searched, and you can't you know, come after us for, well, yes, we can. And the one thing that they always want is to classify you as a financial institution so that they can regulate you. Just today, yep. we were talking about, you know, the previous show before this, the G20 met, and the head of the G20 is India's turn now. Well, they were in there, and what are they talking about? Central bank digital currencies that are linked to a global ID, digital ID, Mm -hmm. digital currency, and what is in their way? You. They don't want you to have an alternative. You're not going to have cash anymore. India did away with cash. You know, they're not going to have, you know, um, uh, anything but surveillance for everybody. They'll be able to turn you off. And, oh, by the way, your social credit score, if it's tied to uh, your health records you got your COVID-19 you know app you got you got you got and who was the example standing in the way of no we don't need your stinking permits and we are trading amongst the people not just in crypto silver gold gold backs which is like a gold leaf with a polymer around actually has it's gold you know and that is awesome I was with you in um at uh, Freedom Fest in Las Vegas when that was presented you go Ooh, man, I want a bunch of that, you know? So that became yeah. a thing. And you go, I, I, yeah. as an aside, you go to the Pork Fest, like this last year, you go in, 
and you buy in bulk, you get a hundred ones or whatever. You pay three dollars and sixty something cents for one of the singles, you know, that has you know a certain amount of gold in it, and it was readily accepted at all the vendors immediately at four dollars. So you got a discount. You got a coupon right off the bat. Well, they're beautiful. They're just you know very nice, attractive. They're localized to each state or something. They're just spreading across the country. And Ian is one of the promoters of that. So there's a lot of reasons to go after Ian. They anticipate that you don't really gonna not gonna live up to your rhetoric. And if you got 20 years, you're gonna do a plea deal. And well, Ian's like, nah, I think I'll decline. So this yeah, no, is... They actually, add, just so you know, uh, there really wasn't much of a plea deal that they offered. They just sort of offhand, this was probably like April of 2022. They told my attorney, maybe it was before that. Anyway, that at some point on some sort of phone call with the with my attorney, they said, well... He could take a plea to every charge that we've charged him with, which was like, you know, a dozen charges or whatever. And we'll drop the one charge that had a 10 year minimum sentence on it, which was the uh, what they call the continuing criminal enter- uh, continuing financial crimes enterprise. This was the biggie. This was the you know, this is the scariest one, right, because it's got a minimum uh, 10 year sentence. And turns out they ended up dropping that charge before trial with the 17 charges that they had dropped uh, at that point. So they wanted me to plead to everything except that one charge, which, of course, was uh, was a no go. And I don't want to take a plea on uh, any of these charges because it's all BS. And uh, they're it's unfortunately they convinced the jury of this particular BS because juries aren't particularly uh, legally minded. They don't understand the law. They don't understand, you know, the ins and the outs of what we might be arguing or whatever. And so, you know, hindsight being 2020, I do wonder if we would have had a better chance with just uh, a bench trial with, uh, with the judge and not actually having a jury. Um, my thought at the time though was, well, we're in New Hampshire. It's probably better to have a New Hampshire jury than it is a California or a New York jury. But ultimately, uh, that didn't matter because they seemed to buy absolutely everything that the uh, the BS that the prosecution was selling, including this ridiculous claim that I was somehow involved with uh, scam artists, which they didn't show a shred of evidence for because there is no evidence for that. You know, but yet they still convicted me on that count. This is one thing I, I was going to ask you if you consider just having the judge do it because you have that option. In Arizona, we came across this. It was a complicated case. You know, I remember, you know, Mark Victor, good friend, a criminal defense attorney, and we were talking about this. And he goes, you know, we want to waive our right to a jury trial. We're going to have the judge do this. And the judge goes like this. He says, well, Mr. Prosecution, are you going to waive your right to the jury trial? And Mark's like, what the heck is that? What do you mean? They got Mm. a right to a jury trial? Yes. In Arizona, Mm. the prosecution they can select they want a jury trial. And with all this vor dire and propaganda, of, you know, you, you wonder, why do they do such stupid crap? You know, in the media, they control the media, big tech. They're constantly, you know, whatever narrative that they got going on. It's for the jury pool. It's because they get people that are more inclined to side with government. None of you freedom yeah, guys do. out there. And that was, you know, and he was, he was dumbfounded. He's like, I, I did not know that. Well, now we know. Wow. You know, so I, 
I this is I'm wondering if, if New Hampshire or federal cases or whatever if that's the case. But um, yeah. even the jury nullification thing, where you go, this is just dumb. The jury just say not guilty. Well, you're not allowed to tell them that. But in New Hampshire, no. But in New Hampshire, I thought you did. No, no, only state courts. So you can talk about uh, jury nullification in New Hampshire state courts. But in federal courts, it is a no-no. In fact, the prosecution put in a motion in advance uh, asking the judge to forbid any conversation about jury nullification during the case. So it was specifically an issue that the prosecution was concerned with because, you know, they're worried, right? Like, they're, they want to make sure that they control as much as they possibly can. Yeah, they want to be and anti so justice. Kind of- you just freaking, you know, why even have a jury? Would you tell me, please, Mr. Howard, why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? (laughs) On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Let us make them remember. We are not to declare your independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're continuing our conversation with Ian Freeman of the Crypto Six and talk show host for Free Talk Live, owner of Liberty Radio Network, talking about the FBI and DOJ prosecution of them dealing in cryptocurrency as the people's money in New Hampshire. They want to make sure that they control as much as they possibly can. Yeah, they want to be ATM so justice. Kind of... You just freaking, you know, why even have a jury? 
you know? And yeah. the one thing it was such as activists in Arizona, libertarians, of course, were making a big deal out of Fiji running candidates. He'd even passed the Arizona Senate, you know, in um, uh, late 90s. And they freak. It was amazing. What happened was finally the Supreme Court in Arizona at the re- quest of the attorney general after everybody was making a big deal out of it. They just wanted this issue to go away. The Supreme Court gave this unprompted decision. I don't know, you know, an advisory, whatever the heck, there wasn't even a case. And they go like this. They said, yes, we acknowledge that the people, the juries have the right to nullify the law. Just say not guilty whether you did it or not. Don't care. Yes, we acknowledge you have the power to do that. But we have no obligation to tell you, and we're not going to tell you, and you're not allowed to tell you, you know? And I'm like, wow, I've seen this before. Bob Schultz doing petition on some IRS thing to, you know, redress a grievance. We're going to go through all this years. The thing gets to Washington, and the federal government goes, yeah, you have a right to petition for redress, but we have no obligation to answer. Yeah, I remember that. What yeah, the crap? The people group. These people, right. And I'm just... This has been, and it's so refreshing to have someone. I mean, I know you're facing a lot of, a lot of opposition here with the man, but no plea deal, and that. See, tell me how that's played in to your options now. How much? How better off do you think you are? And what was the plea? Even if you pled, you probably would have been doing more time. What you're facing now, you know. So I. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to know. I mean, I, I'm facing 20, uh, 15 to 20 years if the prosecution is not successful with their appeal. So I mentioned earlier that one of the two worst counts that I was found, I was found guilty of all eight counts uh, by the jury. One of the two guilty, worst, guilty. So there was two money laundering, right? So the two money laundering charges, one was a conspiracy to money launder saying that I was allegedly working with these scammers and no evidence for that. But regardless, they found me guilty of that one, and then they found me guilty of the money laundering count where they say that I sold, uh, knowingly sold Bitcoin to an undercover alleged heroin dealer, uh, which I didn't do. But the jury found me guilty of that, too. Uh, the judge later on, eight months after trial, because we put in a motion to dismiss at the end of the prosecution's case, and we put in the same motion to dismiss at the end of our case, basically saying, look, uh, motion to dismiss all eight counts because uh, the prosecution never proved a single one of them beyond a reasonable doubt, right? And so the judge eight months later said, okay, I'm going to grant your motion on this one count where there was the undercover hero- alleged heroin dealer, and I'm going to deny the motion on the other seven counts. So he threw out one of the worst two counts, but now the prosecution is appealing in what they call an interlocutory appeal, which means that even though the case is still going on, they're saying, hold on, we want to go to the appeals court and ask them if this judge made a mistake by throwing out uh, this one count. So they, they're not accepting the judge tossing the count out and they want to they want the appeals court to bring that count back uh, to bring that guilty back. So if that guilty comes back, then the sentencing guidelines goes back up to like 30 to 70 years but right now it's like 15 to 20 years. And uh, that's what I'm facing. The prosecution is pushing for the maximum 20 years. They want to get $20.5 million in so-called forfeiture uh, for every dollar that they say went through the money transmission that they alleged that I was doing. 
and they want uh, so-called restitution for victims that I didn't create, uh, the victims that were very sad, victims of uh, online scam artists. They want me to have to pay uh, for what happened to these people. And so there's a, they're, they're pushing for everything they can uh, everything they can possibly get. And it's ultimately, it's going to be up to the judge to decide. He, he doesn't have to do the sentencing guidelines. He can go above them. He can go below them. Um, so that's where the, the case is currently at. We were supposed to have sentencing this week. It kind of happened, uh, but there was there's still like a part two, apparently, that's coming up because the judge is saying he's considering the prosecution's arguments about whether or not uh, there should be a restitution, so-called, in this case. And he says he's leaning towards the prosecution's arguments about that, even though his own probation department said there is no restitution due in this case because I'm not a scam artist. They didn't allege that I was a scam artist. I did not scam these people. And they never alleged in the trial that I scammed these people. They just simply said that I was, quote-unquote, willfully blind, which Good is headlines. absolutely not true because... Because we did everything we could to try to detect scams that were in progress. We had a whole know your customer procedure that we put these people through. And what happened was they just straight up lied. They were under the spell of these scam artists. And they would do absolutely anything these scam artists asked them to do, including tell us lies about why the they scam? wanted to buy the Bitcoin what, in what, order to get us to sell them. What was the motivation for them to get the Bitcoin? What happened? How did they do that? Um, fear and love were the motivators. There are two different uh, categories of scam out there. There's the, um, I mean, there's a, a ton of different variants of scams, but the two main categories are scams that take advantage of people based on love and scams that take advantage of people based on fear. So some of the scam victims were in what they call a romance scam, where they would be on a, a dating website. Uh, and they would be contacted by somebody who was showing an interest in them. Um, you know, they had whatever story they had. They had some of the ladies that testified at the um, at the sentencing hearing were talking about a guy who was pretending like he was on an oil rig, and of course things are going wrong, and he needs money to do X, Y, or Z. And uh, them having fallen in love with this person, were willing to send them um, basically all of their money, and uh, and he did various different things with that, uh, including uh, buying Bitcoin and having them purchase Bitcoin from me. So that's uh, what happened in that case. But there were other cases. One guy lost his life savings to a, a fear-based scam where scammers called him up and pretended to be agents of the federal government. And they threatened him and told him that he needed to pay them or else something bad would happen. Uh, I don't remember what the exact threats were, but they pretended to be like the IRS or Social Security or something like that. And so he emptied out his retire retirement savings to purchase, um, I don't know what all, because he only spent about a quarter of it with uh, me and my friends. Um, he lost $1.2 million Whoa. in this uh, in this situation, and he spent weeks of his life on the phone with these scam artists, them instructing him on what to do to send them his money. He spent weeks before they opened up a trade uh, with me. Again, they pretended to be him, so I had no idea that they were, were scam artists. They, uh, the scam artists were scamming me as well by using these, uh, these people and uh, getting them to lie. So this gentleman had already spent $900,000 before he came to me. 
And I didn't know that. I, I just saw his profile on local Bitcoins. To me, it looked like he had already purchased Bitcoin a bunch of times. He had a bunch of trades under his belt. I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to put him through my procedure, even though he looks like he's an experienced buyer. So I got his phone number. I got his photograph, his ID. I called him up, looked up the number to make sure that it was actually his number and that it wasn't like the scammers with like a fake phone number. And, you know, I don't want to talk to a scam artist. I want to talk to a real person because I'd learned a lot about scams by this point and how to detect them. Right. So I actually had a whole list of questions about, you know, are you being put up to this? Is there a third party involved in this? Are you under threat um, or are you being coerced? You know, these are some of the questions I asked. Why are you buying the Bitcoin? And he said he's buying it for, uh, you know, he's retired. He wants to invest. Um, he's bought Bitcoin before. I asked him what wallet he's using. He answered the question. So I was completely convinced like this guy, he bought Bitcoin before. He's buying it for retirement purposes. He's got a, you know, experience on local Bitcoins, it looks like, according to his profile. I'm like, okay, this guy passes. I'll sell him the Bitcoin. So I sold him uh, the Bitcoin. And then he came back a couple days later, I think, and bought some more. And then he bought like a third time after that. So to me, he looked like uh, a happy return customer. I didn't find out until later uh, when his bank tried to pull back one of his wire transfers, I tried calling him up like, hey, you know, what's going on? But I got his voicemail and uh, he then sent my number apparently to the uh, sheriff's department in Travis County, Texas, which is the Austin area. And I was contacted by a detective who wanted to ask me obviously about the situation. And I was happy to help him and sent him all the files that I had on this person who had uh, who had represented himself as a legitimate buyer of Bitcoin. Where do you live? And they called uh, Travis County, Texas. So how is they, he? Uh, he's going to you in New Hampshire because... Uh, because I was a highly rated Bitcoin seller on localbitcoins.com. There were, you know, thousands of people who are on that site who would have sold in Bitcoin, but I was a top tier seller. I mean, I've sold to thousands of people in the five years that I was, was doing that. I had 100% feedback, positive feedback. Um, I had, you know, a ton of sales under my belt. So like, you know, you're buying Bitcoin from somebody, you want to go with somebody that's got some experience. So that's, I presume why I was chosen. Um, but I wasn't the first person he bought Bitcoin from. He had bought from multiple other sellers on that site prior to coming to me. And the thing that was really interesting about this, that's the thing. Uh, we found out, I didn't know this until trial. So on cross-examination, my attorney asked him, if the federal government had ever asked him a single question about the other $900,000, so he lost about 280,000 through my friends and I when he was buying Bitcoin through us, but uh, he lost another $900,000 to these scammers prior to coming to us, as I understand it, and his answer was no. They never asked him a single question about the $900,000. They never asked him about the scammer. They never asked him about any contact information, like what phone number the scammers were calling from. Yeah, anything they're not even pretending. At all about them. No. And it wasn't him. It wasn't just him. There was another woman who was a real estate agent. She also represented herself as like, you know, a legitimate business lady who was just buying Bitcoin for herself and some of her friends. And uh, she had purchased Bitcoin for me for over a year on and off, uh, just regularly buying, buying Bitcoin and she seemed to just to be a, a good customer. Uh, she came to the trial and testified that she had been talking with her scammer for more than half a decade. 
and that she had lost $100,000 to this scammer early on, emptying out her bank account. And then at that point, she was then helping the scammer. Um, now, I don't think she knew she was helping the scammer because they probably concocted some sort of story. But the scammer was then having other people send her money, which she would then do what the scammer instructed with. And so that was going on for years, apparently, before they decided to open up a trade with me on local bitcoins. And once again, uh, my attorney asked her, did the FBI ever ask you about the scammer? Did they ever ask you anything about who this person was or try to, you know, set up a meeting with him or whatever, anything. And she said, no, she said that she would be happy to give the FBI some information about her scammer. Wow. As, as a matter of fact, she admitted she'd been speaking with the scammer up until uh, just before the trial, um, a week before the trial, she had had a conversation with the, with the scammer, but the FBI had never asked her a single question about it. So, um, you know, it they makes obviously it feel like these guys, these guys are scammers. agent, you know, informant, provocateur, part of, kind of, you know, it just seems so weird. Um, our, the main agent who was investigating the case, Catherine Tebow, she admitted that in her 24 years of investigating cases like this, she's never once caught a single scam artist. Why? Because they don't care? So, <laughs> I don't know if it's for lack of trying. Uh, or if it's just, a whole lot of you know, they're not out. in the United States. Maybe it's because they're not in the United States and they're hard to catch outside of the U.S. I don't know, but they didn't even ask a question. Uh, I mean, how can you catch them if you're not even going to ask a single question? Because their goals these, uh, are different. What victims. do you think the goal is? This whole process that you've gone through, what, what, what do you think the intent is of the government? Well, clearly the... The goal of all of these prosecutions in the world of cryptocurrency, because I'm just one of many, I'm just one of the few who didn't take the plea deal, uh, but many have been charged, many have taken a plea. And the goal is to obviously intimidate people into not selling Bitcoin uh, and to say you have to have your government permission slip in order to, uh, to do this sort of thing. Uh, and, and it's part of a larger attack on the cryptocurrency world. I mean, we've seen what's happened, of course, with uh, you know, the crypto exchanges being targeted here in the U.S. by the SEC yeah. and the CFTC. There are multiple lawsuits there. You got library being targeted yeah. by uh, the SEC under these 90-year-old securities laws where they're trying to shoehorn cryptocurrency into that. Uh, and then you got the so-called Justice Department bringing criminal charges against people like me uh, and saying, well, this is money transmission, which is, again, decades old. Okay, okay. Uh, law, I gotta we don't actually... why? 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 Why do they care? What, what is the real reason? Who are they defending, operating for the, the strong? Oh, it comes down to the, the banks. Bank. I mean, the, the banking system, the central banks and their buddies, uh, the private banks. I mean, these are all the same group of people, essentially. The Federal Reserve is the big banks, right? So... Um, somebody up there knows that cryptocurrency is a threat to their existence and they want to stamp it out. They want to intimidate people into not using it. And to some extent, they're having success at it. You know, they, uh, I don't think this is over by any means. I think that, that cryptocurrency has a long life ahead of it and it's going to become more popular, but they're doing everything they can to make it as scary as possible to the average person um, they're going after Tornado Cash now, which is a, an Ethereum mixer. This is just programming on the internet, and they're calling it sanctioned. 
they're saying if you use this mixer on the internet for your for Ethereum, that you're now guilty of violating sanctions. I mean, they're putting trying to put people in prison for writing code. And and that's you know, ultimately well, it what didn't stop doing him the Ross Ulbrich. Case. They put him in three life sentences for creating a web page. I you know, this is yeah. um let's let, let's look at this. I want to get your comment on this. Have you seen this? You know, this is Eric Voorhees. Yeah, I just watched it last night. You know, I, I just, I'm about halfway through it. You know, I just had to do shows all day. But, you know, he was at a conference. This is on X or whatever. And um, Eric Voorhees, we've known since the beginning of crypto. And he's in the space doing a lot. But he and guys like Roger Veer and a few others that are uh, big in the crypto space, what do they say? This is people's money. This is we're we're not getting permission slips. We're going to make it to where it's permissionless. We don't want to go to jail, but you know there's been, you know, all kinds of instances where he he's come to the attention of the man and um at this conference, he goes, "Why are we here? What are we doing with it to not ask permission? There is no permission." We're going to exchange and trade with each other in an ecosystem that doesn't need they, them, those. This was a powerful, I put it at the top of the page in anticipation of talking to you too. And I'm like, yeah. this is this is exactly what they're going after. And what you're saying, and, and, and you know, Eric, you know, we do, a lot of yeah. us know Eric. And this, He's a former Free Talk Live listener. Before he was crypto, Eric Voorhees, he was a Free Talk Live amplifier and listener, uh, Eric Voorhees. I remember him at the uh, the Free State Project's Liberty Forum back in like 2007. Boom. Which is, you know, pre-crypto. This is, you know, there's a lot of good people in this for the right reasons. And we're up against the evil, they, them, blood dripping, fang, pointy horn, pointy tail people. I mean, this is, this is getting weird. I want to go ahead and play this. Uh, It's only a minute and 27 seconds of you coming out of the courthouse. And then I want to talk about some that were videotaping um, uh, without permission slip. They didn't like that either. All right, let's go ahead and do this. Super grateful, and I wish that everyone could have uh, fit in the courtroom. Ian Freeman addresses a crowd of supporters on the steps of the federal courthouse in Concord Monday afternoon. The Keene resident was supposed to be sentenced on felony charges connected to what prosecutors describe as an unlicensed virtual currency business. The government says Freeman laundered over $10 million in proceeds of romance scams and other Internet frauds by exchanging U.S. dollars for Bitcoin. The whole idea that I had anything at all to do with these scams is absolutely absurd. It's not true. Freeman's sentencing has been delayed due to questions over possible restitution. His attorneys say he should not have to pay, pointing to a pre-sentencing probation report. We agreed with the probation report on the restitution issue, where in the probation report uh, they agreed with us that uh, nobody deserved restitution in this case. The government declined an interview with News 9, but argued in court that Freeman should have to pay his alleged victims. The judge is giving Freeman and his attorneys two weeks to respond. The judge was gracious enough to allow us to uh, address that, and it will be addressed in a formal pleading. This is one of the benefits of not taking a plea deal is you actually get to argue some of these things. A restitution hearing has been scheduled for October 2nd. Reporting in Concord, I'm Tim Callery, WMUR News 9. Oh my God, you said you said benefit of not doing a plea deal. Man, that, that's, that's, that, that's incarceration words right there. 
You know, you're you're so freaking not allowed to do that. This has been a an exercise in so many things that you have, you know, advocated for a lot of things, freedom, choices, options, do it, do it, do it, do it. Don't be stupid. Look at what's going on, you know, comply with, you know, what'll put you in jail kind of thing. And where they have this gray area or they're not, you know, uh, don't have the jury, they just make it up. So they've done this before, you know, with you. A lot that we can go on and on and on about, but it has been a target against what? Is it really just Bitcoin? What is at target here? What What, what is it they're going after? Uh, well, I think it's it's a large attack against anybody who is involved in cryptocurrency. And it's also an attack against the Free State Project. I mean, as I discussed earlier, it's freedom. the FBI has been... I mean, yeah, these sure. guys, they, they don't want you know, these kinds of inspirational activities doing for leave me aloneism. Yeah, no, they hell don't. no. Well, and they know that the Free State Project is the most successful libertarian movement out there. Freedom's the answer. What's the question? You're listening to Ernest Hancock. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're continuing our conversation with Ian Freeman of the Crypto Six. And talk show host for Free Talk Live, owner of Liberty Radio Network, talking about the FBI and DOJ prosecution of them dealing in cryptocurrency as the people's money in New Hampshire. Successful than the Libertarian Party has been in 50 years. The Free State Project is actually getting people elected, so they're very, very interested in infiltrating the Free State Project, and you can better yeah. believe they're doing that and have been doing that. Uh, in the same way, they know that cryptocurrency is also a, a majorly successful freedom project, more so, of course, than the Free State Project, because crypto is a global uh, phenomenon, and it is permissionless. You don't have to ask permission to get into cryptocurrency, and they hate that. Uh, they love being able to tell you no. Uh, they they love it when people have to supplicate themselves and beg and uh, and ask them for things. And they hate that crypto sets people free from that. So they're going to claw and, and scrape against it. And it's going to get ugly. And it already is getting ugly with countless people being put into uh, prison cells over this in the last half a decade. Um, it, there's a gentleman named Mark Hopkins who went to prison last year uh, for selling Bitcoin without a government permission slip. He took a plea. And the reason why he took a plea in his case, if you ever uh, get a chance to interview him, I recommend him. But uh, what happened with him was he was selling on local Bitcoins, but he got their permission slip. He went and he asked uh, the FinCEN, the Federal Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, to give them the permission slip for uh, so-called money transmission, and he got it. Um, so he thought he was all set. And he asked the Texas bureaucrats, he said, what do I need to do? Uh, in Texas to be legal. And they said, you don't have to do anything. There's no permission slip in Texas. So he said, all right, well, I got my federal permission slip. I got my state. Well, there's nothing for the state. So I'm just going to go ahead and sell some Bitcoin. And so he did. And they came after him uh, and they told him, look, uh, we're going to come after your wife unless you take a plea deal. She had a bank account that she had her name on the bank account you were using for selling Bitcoin. So he might have actually not taken the plea if they hadn't have uh, threatened his wife. Of course, he's got a kid with her. And so, you know, if, if he's going to go to prison, it would be really bad if she went as well. So he went ahead and he took the plea deal and they sentenced him to 15 months for 
so-called money transmission. They charged what's him his with name? the other Mark Hopkins. Uh, they charged he's uh, risen R I Z Z N on Twitter. Um, they charged him with the other money transmission charge. The other one that, that I'm referring to, they didn't charge me with this one. They charged him with this one. In this other money transmission charge, it says they can charge you if you don't have a state license. So even if you have the federal license, the feds can charge you for not having a state license. So even though he tried to get a state license, the state of Texas said there is no license for that. And so the feds charged him uh, with that. And that's what he that's what he pled to because he was, you know, concerned okay, he pled come to not getting well. a state license that didn't exist. That's correct. And the judge let him do that. Yeah. Of course. Of course. The judge will let you uh, plead to any charge as long as you claim that you're doing it voluntarily, which is, of course, a laughable thing because no one takes a plea uh, voluntarily. It's always done under okay. duress. Let, but they don't consider it duress when they do it. We're looking at October 2nd, where you go back and find out what. When they say, boom, they're hauling you off in cuffs right then, you know, or they're going to give you a week. I mean, uh, how does this work? And how long do you think? You know, I didn't want to talk about that. I, I don't care. You it's know, all it, possible. All of those things are, are possible. I, I'm, they could I, give me a week. They could keep me out pending the appeal, and they could put me in prison right then and there. Oh, and there's going to be an appeal. Oh, yes, yes. That is one of the benefits of not taking a plea is that you can appeal the, the charges. And so uh, we are intending to appeal all of the counts uh, because we don't think that the federal uh, gangsters pay uh, that they proved any of them. Uh, the tax evasion charges, there were four of those. They didn't prove those because under cross-examination, their own witness from the IRS, this accountant that they had up there, she admitted that I may not owe any taxes. I mean, that right there is a reasonable doubt. If the uh, IRS accountant says you may not owe anything, then, um, you know, I certainly couldn't have known that I owed something. And I, you're supposed to also know that you have a duty to pay, which I also didn't know uh, that I have as a minister. And I still don't think that I have as a, uh, a minister of a church that makes no income. Uh, so, like, we had all kinds of reasons why the jury should have found, us, uh, found me not guilty on that. And then, of course, there's the money transmission counts, which... I find to be the most sort of legally interesting counts because one, uh, Bitcoin isn't money. Uh, it's code. It's freedom of speech. It's math. Uh, it is by definition not money, but the federal government, of course, wants it to be money. The Department of right. Justice wants that very much. So we've got a detailed motion uh, to dismiss on that particular question of whether or not Bitcoin is considered funds under the money transmission statute. And we say it is not. Uh, but even if it is considered funds, it's never transmitted. So how you can say this is money transmission when Bitcoin never actually moves anywhere? It doesn't go from a person to another person. It doesn't go from a one location to another location, which is what is required access. for an act. To... It, it doesn't even move on the blockchain. It just sits in the same place. And when you, quote, send it, which the wallets use terms like send and receive, that's not because anything's being sent or received anywhere. There's not. There's no it's motion, no movement of the funds. Yeah, it's just essentially, as I understand the way the blockchain works, is if I, quote, send Bitcoin to you, Ernie, which I'm not allowed to touch Bitcoin under my bail conditions, but if I were to send Bitcoin to you, the blockchain entry would just simply be deleted and then replaced associated with a different wallet. 
it doesn't even move from one location to the next on the blockchain. What, so the whole no idea that there's truck? any kind of no, the, the whole and there's not even people associated with these wallets. So there's no transmission by their own definition. But again, uh, the jury found me guilty of all these things, and uh, and that's because I don't think they understand the law. Did, was there a jury the, interview? The jury did your attorney do uh, jury interviews at all or anything? Uh, unfortunately, as I'm as I'm told, there are much worse restrictions on being able to talk to jurors after a trial in the federal system, and um, it didn't seem like something that we could do without any kind of suspecting that there was something untoward going on, like having some sort of like if a juror had gone on Twitter and said, "Screw these free staters" or something, right? Like if there was something we could point to that we could then um, use as to open up that realm that might have been possible but we have not seen anything like that yeah and so no at this point we have not been able to speak to the jurors which i think would be very enlightening to find out what they were thinking because my theory is on this ernie is that what essentially we encountered here is a, in a case of reverse jury nullification wherein a jury without any evidence uh any convincing evidence uh, there was reasonable doubt on all of these things um they found me guilty of everything because there were some really sad cases of some elderly people being victimized online. And I was the guy in the room, even though the prosecution Somebody's made clear be I guilty. wasn't the scammer. They wanted to send somebody up the river for this. And so, uh, you know, that, that was, was one thing. I, I wonder if this came that's up. That's what happened. There was a, oftentimes jurors want to know what the sentence is. I mean, you know, what, how, what's the incarcerated time that you're facing or that. They don't want them to know. They won't tell them. No. You know, and no, that, they're not allowed to. That, you know, this this whole, okay, that's the final thing. You know, is there anything else that you want to do? There's some other, another tack I want to take real quick before we go. But is there anything else you want to share with the audience? Um, well, the other charge, as you know, has been thrown out. The money laundering count where they say I sold to an undercover heroin dealer, which I never did. So that one was at the moment has been thrown out. So that's good news. Um, and so the worst charge right now I'm facing is this conspiracy to money launder where they allege that I was, quote unquote, willfully blind to what was going on. And I was anything but willfully blind. That's why we called a witness um, who is a college professor. His name's Paul Miwa. He teaches at, I think, Emerson College in the Boston area. And he is the son of a 80-year-old woman, I think, or maybe she's in her 70s. I don't know what, how old she is, but uh, who was being scammed online. Um, I, she wanted to buy some Bitcoin, and you know, I put her through my usual procedure. I had her ID herself. I called her up, and, uh, and then something got weird with this particular trade to the point where I had to, I put it on hold. I said, something's wrong here. Um, you know, this, this stinks possible, uh, scam going on. And, and so I froze that, that trade. She had already deposited $11,000 into, um, my friend's bank account at that point. And, but I hadn't sent the Bitcoin away at that point. And so I, um, tried and I worked very, very hard to get that $11,000 back to her, which the reason why it took a long time was because the bank froze the account before they closed it. So it was literally frozen for, for months. But once I finally got access to it again, I reached out to her through her son and he helped facilitate getting that money back to her. And there were other times when we were able to actually 
interdict scams in progress and save people from losing thousands of dollars. Uh, and they weren't all elderly. One guy was a young gentleman in New York City during COVID. Uh, he blamed COVID uh, for the situation because he was home all the time. And so he was like, you know, not able to be as, I guess, um, aware, uh, you know, had his reasons, but he, he fell for a scam and I managed to stop it mid midstream and saved him from losing $5,000, basically the entire amount in his bank account. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to call him as a witness, but uh, there was a doctor in, uh, in Alabama that we saved from losing $4,000. So, I mean, we had a whole procedure that these people were following in order to identify themselves and in identify that they knew they were buying Bitcoin, they wanted to buy Bitcoin, uh, they were consenting to it. As I mentioned earlier, I had a whole series of questions. So this whole idea that, you know, there was any kind of willful yeah. blindness is just absolutely What, what was ridiculous. the demeanor of the prosecution and even the judge? I mean, they were like, and the jury, I mean, the whole system where they're like, damn it. Well, that doesn't matter. Damn it. You can't be a good guy a little bit. Damn it. You know, he's, a, he's, he's, he's bad. He's evil. He's something. I mean, what was their... You know, closing argument to the jury. Well, somebody's got to pay, and he's sitting right there. Go get him. I mean, what was their tactic? What was their 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 venomous about it? Or they, they we got him. You know, kind of any of this stuff had any impact on them whatsoever. Well, it's hard to know what impact uh, the things we said had had on them because, you know, they found me guilty of everything. But the prosecution was very, very nasty, very venomous. Um, they said in their uh, the recent filing that they made the sentencing memorandum where they argued for the maximum sentence. Uh, they said this was the worst kind of crime and, uh, you know, apparently worse than like murder and, and rape. <laughs> this, that, that they don't prosecute this. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, they're saying this is the worst kind of crime, and um, you know this is the attitude that they they took that I was somehow, you know, responsible for what happened uh, to these people when all I did was what they asked me to do and what they told me they wanted me to do, um, and it's the same thing that the bank tellers did. The bank tellers that sent away. How do you think appeal is going to go on fortune. this? Uh, I mean, hard to know. You know, I, we our arguments, they didn't prove any of these counts. We've got plenty of evidence of, uh, of reasonable doubt in every single case. So you, you think know, they're going to put you in well. jail while you appeal because because we need to get get them in jail sometime. We got to get them. I mean, that's pretty common for somebody to go to to go to prison after they get convicted of something. So the fact that I'm even out now is fairly unusual. Uh, the judge had said at the when I was convicted that he didn't want to put me in jail pending appeal because he thought there was an appealable issue. However, he may have meant that the one charge that he threw out, he considered to be appealable and he doesn't consider the other seven uh, to be appealable. So he may decide to go ahead and put me in. Um, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. Okay. This is the one final subject I want to you know, discuss with you because you and I have been known each other a long time. We've been our own kind of activists in different places, overlap, do kind of, we get it. Okay. And I'm, I consider you one of the guys that get it. You know, you get it. What you're up against. What's the solution? I mean, you know, we're always the peace guy. I'm the love guy. And we got to because we understand that to be the most effective thing. And it also is what pisses them off more than anything, you know, is that you're out yeah. there being peaceful and you're showing them what they are. And that's very effective. But 
how is this going to unwind? I mean, you might be safer in prison. I mean, you know, it's like, whoa, the zombie apocalypse. I'll just ride it out in here for a little while. Let me know what's up, you know. And uh, <laughs> these thick walls might, you know, save us from the whatever. But the um, it's going to be a different world. If you go to prison, when you come out, I don't think it's going to be the same. They're going to, we're going to miss you, you know? So I'm, I'm wondering what you think the solution is. Is the institutions have to just fall, evaporate, be ignored out of existence? Is it going to be a food thing and we're all farmers now? You know, I mean, I, well, how do you think this is going to descend into this economic morass, this, this crap apocalypse that's coming, in my opinion? I, you know, we've been waiting for whatever, you know, for a long time, this is going to come crashing down. I don't see how the dollar survives. I don't see how this doesn't become a food thing. I don't see how legitimacy of government is elevated in the minds of anybody when this kind of crap that goes on. So what do you think is going to happen and how is it going to play out? Uh, that's a great question. And I uh, do agree that peace is the way. I don't think that violence is the solution. I think that's what they want us to do. Uh, that is what they are prepared for. That's what they train for. Uh, and as you said, they don't know how to handle peaceful civil disobedience. They certainly don't know how to handle it when it comes from multiple people. Uh, they don't know how to handle uh, multiple people doing non-cooperation. And these are things that they're just not prepared for. Um, I think that ultimately the time is on our side um, in that their system is going to come crashing down. We won't have to lift a finger to do that. Um, certainly, you know, people can protect themselves from that, I think, by looking into alternatives from, you know, to escape the dollar, uh, such as cryptocurrency, gold, silver. We mentioned the gold backs, beautiful, beautiful things uh, earlier. So these are things you can do to protect yourself uh, economically from the crash that likely is going to happen. But when, of course, is the question. I mean, they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. I mean, if you look at countries like Venezuela, for instance, where they've been de devaluing that currency uh, heavily for you know, a decade plus, they're still there. I mean, that Maduro is still the president and they are still hungry. Um, you know, it's a, it's a bad situation. It's gotten worse over the years and it hasn't changed. So it's hard to say that it's all going to come crashing down before the next election. That doesn't seem very likely. Um, you know, how long is it going to take? Is it going to be five years? Is it going to be 15, 50 or it know, won't happen all I, at I once. Know. I mean, you see it yeah. coming, but it will happen overnight. I mean, it's going to be all of a sudden and we're done. And I'm, I'm, I'm very fearful of that, which is why we prepare, you know, I mean, just, you know, food, having a place, you know, we have a bus. I mean, you know, whatever. But the um, I'm I I I don't want to stop the interview without complimenting you on being such an inspiration for so many people. And you've lived yeah, your principles. You're doing it now. You're taking it. And I just got to ask, you know, I mean, I've gone through this stuff, you know, kind of you know over time, and it's a decision you make. You just, you know, for me, it, it's a God thing. I yeah, whatever I do the right thing, and you know, and I have the support of my friends and family, and my kids, and you know, my you know daughters and sons in laws, and everything, and grandkids. I mean, it's just really, really gives me a lot of staying power for this kind of stuff. For you, how? pressing is all this attack constantly and you're doing six seven days for years of radio talking about this time just 
how does it wear on you? I mean, how, how are you holding up your humanity and you know, keep the peace and love mindset? I, I, is there some secret, you know, sauce or, or attitude or decision you've made, you know, inspire us, you know, inform us. How do you do that? I think positive affirmations are really helpful, you know, to uh, speak things aloud or in your mind that are very, very positive to remind yourself of, of who you really are. Um, peace and love and, you know, focusing on these things. When negative thoughts come in, you can uh, be aware of those things. You want to be the observer of your thoughts. You don't want to be ruled by those things because they're not necessarily you. Where those things come from sometimes is a mystery, um, but you don't have to believe everything that, that you think. So try to be aware of, you know, any negativity and just uh, forgive yourself for it, reject it, and focus again on on being as being peace and being love and, you know, exuding that out there into uh, to the universe as much as you possibly can. And hopefully it'll, you know, come back to you. Um, I don't know if that, that answered your question, but that's certainly how I, I focus and, and keep as cool as I can. I, I always get these comments from people about like, Oh, I don't know how you do it, man. I, I'd take the plea. I would do, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, you know, when I got into Liberty activism, I knew there were risks involved. I knew that, uh, if we become successful as we are being here in New Hampshire, I knew that they were going to target us for it. And, and you know, you've seen what has happened to some of the peaceful leaders in the past in, in right. history. It hasn't been good in a lot of, uh, a lot of cases. Um, you know, the, this, this beast, the evil of the, the federal government thugs, they're not just going to go quietly away. I mean, they're going to, they're going to thrash and they're going to claw and they're going to they're going to make some impact before their central bank falls or before their uh, their wars stop or w- whatever it ends up looking like. But again, we have to stay peaceful because that is what they are counting on. They're counting on people going to violence. They're counting on that stuff. They know how to handle that. They're they're trained for it, and they would just love to uh, to hurt have an excuse to uh, to hurt more people. So I think that to come back around to the question about what you can do. You can do things to protect yourself, like you were talking about, Ernie, you know, getting alternative, getting into the alternatives, protecting yourself by getting out of the cities. You know, these are things that are like pretty obvious, but maybe some people need to hear it again. Uh, but then the, I think the, the most effective thing has to be to get together with an actual community like we are here in New Hampshire, because it's one thing if you, you know, you move out to the farm and you're trying to take care of yourself and your family. But if there's no one in the vicinity that you can count on for anything, if there's no one in the vicinity that believes in, in freedom, uh, that is, you know, the same mindset as you. If they understand the ideas of liberty, if you're if you're without those neighbors, then you're going it alone, and that's going to be really tough when the time comes. Here in New Hampshire, we have neighbors who actually do care about liberty. We do care about uh, this liberty community that we have, and there's so much that you can gain from being physically. Uh, nearby people who are of a like mindset. Now, it's not going to necessarily keep me from going to prison, but it sure is nice to have a hundred people show up uh, at a uh, at a hearing. I mean, that happened. I I didn't expect that. I was just hoping we'd fill the courtroom. Uh, like if we could fill the courtroom, I'd, I'd have been happy. But we ended up filling two court two courtrooms. So I'm so grateful for uh, for everybody that came out. And that would have been impossible um, anywhere else. Just simply would have been impossible. So. Having a community of people who actually cares about liberty and who's active um, in working towards that and talking about seceding from the union and getting people elected to 
the state legislature and doing all kinds of things to try to roll back the government from within the system. And then you got people doing things that are outside the system, like, you know, Bardo Farm, where they're just feeding the, the, the Liberty community with, you know, freshly slaughtered beef and things like that. I mean, there's just so many different aspects. And then, of course, you've talked to Carly Garrick, you've talked to many people from the Free State Project. I don't want to rehash any of that stuff, but that, uh, that community is an important aspect of making it through all of this. Yeah, before you go, the, the, um, doesn't exist. the uh, people that got arrested for videotaping, what do you know about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know a lot about it. I, uh, um, I actually put together a video in the last couple of days. I think I released it yesterday on the Freekeen channel at video.freekeen.com. I took both of their videos because it was two guys. Uh, one of them is a state rep, by the way, um, that uh, were recording videos. They went into the courthouse, uh, the federal courthouse, where nationwide recording devices are prohibited. And they have been prohibited for New since 1946. So, like, this is a this is a big restriction on what it should be your right to be the free press. It should be your right to go into a so-called public place and record what's going on there, especially trials. We can do it here in New Hampshire. It's no problem to get into a courtroom and record here. Um, although New Hampshire has its own issues with recording in like the public uh, courtroom lobbies and the hallways, so we're we're we still have our own, you know issues to deal with that at the state level but at least we can record in the actual courtrooms we can record all the court proceedings here no problem but in federal court you can't even bring uh, a photographic camera a video camera an audio recording device a cell phone a laptop none of these things are allowed in uh, to their court system uh, to their to the entire courthouse and so these guys said they were going to try to uh, challenge that Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember... I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're finishing the conversation in this segment with Ian Freeman. You know him as the host of Free Talk Live. And he's also the owner of Liberty Radio Network. that has a lot of great podcasts on it. This is um, uh, about the Crypto 6 and the prosecution, persecution of um, cryptocurrencies and how it is the answer to inflation, government controls, uh, uh, you know, make you spend your money, can't spend your money, surveillance of you, 
using your money. This is um, under attack, and there's a reason because they, if you're not in control of the federal government, then you're out of control. Well, Ian Freeman is out of their control, and he won't take a plea deal, and he's going all the way through the prosecution, persecution of those that just want the people's money. We'll finish the conversation right now. The uh, people that got arrested for videotaping, what do you know about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know a lot about it. I, uh, um, I actually put together a video in the last couple of days, I think I released it yesterday on the Freekeen channel at video.freekeen.com. I took both of their videos because it was two guys. Uh, one of them is a state rep, by the way, um, that uh, were recording videos. They went into the courthouse, uh, the federal courthouse, where nationwide recording devices are prohibited. And they have been prohibited for New since 1946. So, like, this is a, this is a big restriction on what it should be your right to be the free press. It should be your right to go into a so-called public place and record what's going on there, especially trials. We can do it here in New Hampshire. It's no problem to get into a courtroom and record here. Um, although New Hampshire has its own issues with recording in like the public uh, courtroom lobbies and the hallways. So we're, we're, we still have our own you know, issues to deal with that at the state level. But at least we can record in the actual courtrooms. We can record all the court proceedings here, no problem. But in federal court, you can't even bring uh, a photographic camera, a video camera, an audio recording device, a cell phone, a laptop. None of these things are allowed in. Uh, to their court system, uh, to their to the entire courthouse, and so these guys said they were going to char uh, to uh, challenge that, and they did. The morning of my sentencing, they uh, they went in there. I see you've got the video pulled up, and uh, and they were arrested, which is what their intention was, because you can't challenge the system generally without so so called standing, and until they put you in handcuffs and bring a case, you generally won't be considered to have standing. So they're going to fight this thing, apparently. And it's going to be interesting to, uh, to watch how this develops. Uh, as I said, one of them is a state representative, Jason Gerhard. And the guy's got uh, both of these guys. Footloose is the other guy. They got uh, balls of steel, and I'm grateful to be around people like this. Hi. I, you know, this is, it, it seems that a lot of the activism, a lot of the things that, you know, you and I both do in Arizona and New Hampshire have a lot in common, but how's the ball moved forward in New Hampshire by you guys not asking permission by resisting, by recording, by doing Robin hooding to putting coins in parking meters. I mean, you know, this has been um, effective. It's been uh, got a lot of attention. Has it, changed minds you know are are there you know like judges oh i'm glad you explained it to me you know um i'm wondering how it is that you benefit from this can we you know end on a positive note that this has done some good i you know for you know people i what do you yeah. think uh, you brought up Robin Hooding, which was when we were putting quarters or rather nickels into uh, meters in downtown Keene to rep, uh, to rescue people from getting parking tickets. I mean, we've, we've had a positive effect on thousands of people um, by doing that, by saving them from getting a parking ticket. And people still talk about that to this day. They still remember it. 
positively, um, you know, because getting a ticket ruins your day, right? So finding out that yeah, you would have gotten a ticket. Yeah, but you're costing the man some money. Then, they didn't like that. Yeah. No, there are some people who didn't like it. That's true. Uh, there are some people who believe everything they're told, including, uh, you know, people who thought that just because the government manager, the town manager or whatever here in Keene said so, uh, that that uh, we were harassing his employees, which never happened. No one was ever being harassed, and the courts agreed with us, uh, the, including the New Hampshire Supreme Court, that this was our right to uh, to do. It was free speech, and uh, there was never any criminal harassment or anything like that going on here. But uh, people remember that, and uh, you know, my lawyers were just telling, talking to me about it the other day because one of them works downtown and. You know, the the other guy, uh, Mark Sisti, who, who would come in to visit, he says, I know you guys saved me at least a couple of times. So, I mean, a lot of people have positive memories of this stuff. I mean, for, for while there are people who are negative towards the free staters, of course there's going to be people who are negative towards uh, any kind of action. There's people who hate us for running for office. There's people who hate us uh, for going out and recording video of the police. There's always going to be people who don't want to see anything change because people are afraid of change. And especially those who are making money off of the system. The right. people who work for the government, they yeah. really don't like no, this. No, it's teachers, uh, but the, education, the people who... government. It's, it, yeah, no, it, it's not. The rank and file people are just cool. You know, is there a lot of support locally or uh, uh, people born there or been there before the Free State Project? You know, what do you think the percentage are glad you're there? None? Some? Most? Hard to say. Um, I mean, if you if you are a New Hampshire native and you love freedom, then you should love the Free State Project. You should see the Free Staters as uh, as a backup, right? Like we're here to help. We're here to make sure New Hampshire stays as free as it already is and becomes even more free. And I think a lot of them do understand that. Um, having sat out on my front porch here in front of the studio many uh, summers in a row, uh, you know, would like to like to work outside on my laptop when the weather's nice. I've had people drive by and uh, honk their horns and, you know, give me a thumbs up sign. I've had people park their cars or stop their bicycles and come up and thank me uh, for the activism that I've done here. And I've also had people throw things and uh, flip, me, flip me the bird. Uh, so, like, you get the whole range of response. We've had people steal the peace flag off of our porch. So we've had everything from really positive response to really negative uh, response out there. And that's just the reality of being an agent of potent, the potential for change. You know, you, you start making an impact and people are going to have opinions about it and they're going to have a whole range of opinions. The thing is, libertarians don't get this outside of New Hampshire because they aren't potentially going to change anything. They are nothing more than a voice in the wilderness that no one pays any attention to. The media ignores. Um, just today, there was a new um, hate piece that was released by a hate group here in New Hampshire that hates the Free State Project and believes it's a so-called threat to democracy, 24-page rambling uh, so-called research piece on the Free State Project. I mean, the, the Free State Project has had such an impact. There's so many people that have opinions about it. Um, it's because it's making a difference. And if the libertarians anywhere else started making a difference, people would hate them too, and people would, uh, some people would love them as well. And I think that uh, the people who actually love liberty need to be here in New Hampshire where you can be a part of this. Um, people do appreciate the work that we do, and everything we do attracts a different sort of person. So the kind of people that are in the state house that want to do legislative things, they're going to be excited by what the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance is doing, where they're rating all the bills, and they're rating the state reps, and they're making a huge impact there. 
Uh, the people that love the idea of civil disobedience and non-cooperation, they're going to love that video of those guys getting arrested uh, at, the, at the federal court because it's inspirational to see somebody else stand up for themselves, to see people peacefully stand up for the ideas of liberty. They're not just and talking, one of them a legislator. They're going out there and they're putting their lives on the line. Hmm? And one of them a legislator. Right. One of them happens to be a state legislature, which we need another 50 people that, are, that have the balls that Jason Gerhardt does uh, in the state legislature, because it sure would have been great if there were 15 of them in there uh, instead of just two. But still, it's, uh, it's a step in the right direction. And I really appreciate that kind of activism. That's what drew, drove me to move here in 2006 was that kind of ballsy civil disobedience, non-cooperation, peaceful civil disobedience is what made me want to be here sooner rather than later. You know, I, I, I'm really appreciative of everything that you've done. That's why I've been so supportive and and uh, not afraid to associate with you. Even though we may not agree on everything or methods or whatever, I don't care. It's You got off your butt. You're off the couch. You sit down the six-pack and you're actually doing something. So this has been, um, it's been a pleasure working with you. You know, having you be inspirational to my audience, myself, we promote what you're doing, and whether we agree or not, it definitely, you know, that it made you look, okay? Well, one of the first things is, you know, made you look. This has been, I am so concerned for you. I'm not concerned for your mind or your soul or you, know, you, you question what you're doing. I'm concerned that you're not going to be around for our benefit. I'm concerned that this sets a bad precedent, you know, for when you take away peaceful protests, when you take away peaceful solutions, when you take away voluntary interactions, you only leave not so peaceful. And this is just, it, it seems like that's their intent. Uh, and so this is not over our lifetime. I'm in it for the long haul because Donna and I have four kids, 12 grandkids. This, this is not a battle we're going to leave to our grandchildren to fight. You know, especially when we have the resources and the support and the experience to take this on. And we have, you know, many times I have my subpoena January 6th, Washington, D.C. crap stuff dealing with. And I just didn't cooperate. I'm like, I'll, I'll do your subpoena thing, but no, I'm not voluntarily certifying files you beat me over the head with. And then what do they do last few days? They charge Owen Schroer. You know, him's going and I guarantee that's exactly why I did it. Because they're going to go to people like you and me and them to do what? You don't want to be interviewing these controversial people on controversial subjects at controversial times on controversial issues. No, better not. And that's the message that they're trying to do with Ian. And Ian has always stood up against them, head held high, chest out, advocating for right versus wrong. And I really appreciate that. Ian, thank you very much for coming on. I wish you the best. And, you know, I don't know what your persuasion is, but you're in my prayers. Just get over it. It won't hurt. You know? That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right with that. Um, if I may, I'd like to invite your audience to uh, send a letter to R.A. Demetso, who is currently in uh, federal prison camp, uh, which could be worse. It's just the camp type of prison. It's not the high security uh, kind of prison, but uh, it still sucks. And uh, she's there for an 18-month sentence on quote-unquote money transmission, which she 
unfortunately did take a plea deal too. So she is in prison. Um, and you know, I don't ever blame anyone for, for taking a plea. I advocate against it. Uh, but it is scary, you know, when you go up against these people and you're looking at decades of your life. I was surprised they, Arya you know, did that. Their... I was surprised. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what they were threatening with or, and the, the gentleman in a uh, Texas that went by risen is Mark what Hopkins. Mark Hopkins. Hopkins. You know, we'll, we'll make. Yeah, it does a great that. interview. We uh, we talked to him on Free Talk Live, and he's got a very interesting story. Um, but uh, Aria is in prison, and she doesn't belong there. Um, she didn't hurt anybody, and they're basically saying she should have gotten a government permission slip. And now here, we're going to take eighteen. How's Aria life doing from you? with that? You communicated. I mean, how how mindset? Yep, uh, I hear from her pretty regularly through the federal inmate email system, and she's also written a, a few letters to Bonnie and I here. And she is doing as well as can be in uh, in the situation. Like you know, there's no there's no scary people or whatever. She's there with white collar types, um, you know, other other people who don't belong behind bars. Basically, um, you know, it's it could be a lot worse. Uh, she's in a place where she can go outside pretty much any time that that she wants to. Uh, there's apparently a cat that comes into the facility that's just like a local. Uh, cat and Ari loves cats, so the fact that you'd actually be able to have an animal uh, that you can pet in prison is pretty, pretty nice. I mean, all things considered, is Ari a lot in worse. New Hampshire? I mean, is this a, a fed state? Where, no, where it's actually in Massachusetts. Uh, she's at a facility called FMC Federal Medical Center, Devens, D-E-V-E-N-S. That's uh, in Massachusetts, about an hour and a half. So it's actually within a visitable drive, and uh, some people are going down there to see her on a on a regular basis, but she can get mail. She can receive books, of course, as well. If you go to ariademezzo.com, that's A-R-I-A-D-I-M-E-Z-Z-O.com. There's instructions there on how you can send her mail and how you can send books. If you want to donate to her commissary, I'm sure she'd appreciate hearing from anyone, even if you don't know her. Um, it's always nice to receive mail yeah. when you're inside a, a jail facility. Thanks for that. So, you know, if you go in, you're going to need a bookshelf. Now, I mean, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to send you some goodies. You're going to be evangelist. That was one thing with Morpheus. Get him out of here. He's convincing, you know, and educating all the inmates, all the staff, all the guards, all the, you know, make it stop. I mean, you know, so I just know you're going to be, you know, holding services. I just know, it. you know, it's going to be good. You know, Ian, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. This has been really good. Good luck and Thanks, our man. prayers I it. I, I it ain't just, over yet and it ain't over but um uh, we we need to talk about and understand what ain't over you know and i help you you know I'm, I'm glad you helped us understand what ain't over okay peace brother thanks dude appreciate it you bet bye Good night Are you not informed and entertained? That was a great conversation with Ian Freeman. I, I really appreciate him taking the time to tell us about the prosecution of the Crypto 6. We're going to shift real quick, take a couple of minutes uh, while we have the extra time. A conversation I have with a good friend, Mike Swatek, that lives in 
Oklahoma that went to our Jackalope Freedom Festival in northeastern Arizona that we've done for the past 11 years. In northeastern Arizona, it's 100 billion degrees in the Valley of the Sun. And up in the mountains, it's uh, high 70s. You know, it's just beautiful up there. And we do it the first weekend in August because that's when the monsoon is. So there's less fire danger and you can have fires and without making a forest fire. And um, it's been a great experience, and no one's in charge. It's just an anarchist camping out in the woods kind of thing. No one's in charge, so everybody is. Well, Mike experienced that from Oklahoma, and he goes, wow, you could just go camping with hundreds of your friends? Well, I can do that. So he did, and he does it in fall and in spring. So that uh, the fall one, mid-October, is coming up directly, and then the, the other ones are in April. Well, he's just going to tell us about it a little bit. Be informed and enjoy. Well, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Mid-Continent Liberty Festival, Mid-Fest. You know, go ahead and tell us about, you know, uh, is there anything different this year? What are you looking forward to? I don't know. I have no expectations. You know, I don't know what to expect, and it's all spontaneous, and that's the beauty of it. It's always different. It's always wonderful. And I know of a few people that are going to be there, but for the most part, I have no idea. Cause, well, yeah, There's I'm always a sound coach. system. Is that there or does somebody bring it? No, there's no sound system. There's an electrical outlet and a stage. Well, there's always I think a sound might, system. They might have some speakers there, but I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't count on it. Right. If you want it, you bring it. <laughs> right. Basically. Yeah, pretty much how it works. Well, go ahead and give us the date is this is number number seven. It will be October eighteenth to twenty third. Yep. And that's at Camp Copperhead in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma. And uh and a lot of people come earlier or later we do. I mean sometimes we get yeah. there when we get there and leave when we leave. And um, and we'll come by and visit you a little bit, of course, and see what you're doing. So go ahead and tell us about, you know, where you're at. You know, I'll put up some slideshow up here and people can see what you're building. You know, how, I mean, damn, it's a long time. I'm up here, Derek, building equipment, you know, to make this go faster. Because I've done all kinds of different kinds of building techniques. And I go, you know what, I can do this really fast if I have that piece of equipment or a couple of pieces of equipment now you've done pretty much everything by hand and uh at big pours of air creating and then cutting blocks and you went all like you know freaking anal about all your angles and everything so it's a it's like a, a labor thing but how far along are you how close are you to closing up all the domes uh let's see the 20 foot dome is virtually complete except for the cupola the 30-foot dome, we're 10 courses of blocks above the equator. There's three blocks below the equator, cylinder shape. And then up above, there's about 21. So we're about halfway around, about up 45 degrees on the 30-foot. So what are you looking at? You're going to be done with the big dome by Midfest? No, I don't think we're quite going to make it, but we're sure working hard to try. And uh, so we'll see. You know, a lot of it just depends on, you know, weather and health. 
So what? So what, what? do you think is the the uh, thing that holds you up the most? Because you got a lot of stuff. It's a busy, you know, making block, doing whatever. What, what, what's holding you up? Well, okay. Right now, it's just uh, how fast can we get blocks laid? I mean, we're we're ahead of the block laying with the block production right now. Now. Uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, you do one, if if you can, you do one full course in a day. But right now, we're still at the point where you're talking about 90 blocks, you know, ish. And uh, that's a little more than you can do in a, a reasonable day. Uh, but it won't be long because it's starting to curl inward that we'll be knocking out a, a course a day. And then the day after that, you... Uh, rasp that last course that you did to get it all nice and you know level and true to the right angle and everything and then the next day you lay more blocks and there are those that just want to be left alone and those that just won't leave them alone which one are you the Ernest hancock show in this final segment, I want to share part of a conversation that I had with James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. He has fantastic documentaries that I really want to highlight and make a big impact on Generation Next and the befuddlement of they, them, those that won't leave, leave us alone. All right, we'll go ahead and pay attention. You'll see what we're talking about. Pace. And then the main thing that I want to spend the most of time on, and we'll I'll let James decide what he wants to talk about first, but I remember when my kids were in uh, junior high, high school, they started a thing called Stossel in the Classroom. And it was just a libertarian perspective on free market of kind of, you know, any anything other than the narrative pablum crap that you're getting from they, them, those. So... It was very popular. People, parents were getting it, giving it to their civics teacher. And we had a lot more influence at private schools because, yeah, pays the money. That's why. But the um, uh, I'm see, seeing a need for that for some of the documentaries because we've had friends over the years that we've done this. And just recently with Derek's son, and he's being homeschooled and tutored by his grandmother that was a teacher. And... Um, once he started getting some history, he's 13, he's a big 13, the boy would be a growing. And, um, um, he was, uh, yeah, I like history. <laughs> so me and Derek and Adam, and some of the guys there, we all know about Corbett report, Corbett documentaries. And we go, wow. So you say you like history. Well, guess what you need? So we're on our phone, man. We're racing to get our favorite videos, whatever, and sending them to him and to his grandmother. Uh, his mother's mom. And it was, and I know the impact this has on the truth. Once you digest a Corbett report, you know, documentary, how do you unlearn the truth? It'll flavor everything that you get. You know, anybody else, a teacher, aides, you know, your your peers, they go, uh, well, what about, did you know that, you know, well, let me tell you a story. So getting this truth out to a generation that all they know, probably in their memory, recent memory, is lockdown and COVID. You know, what the governments do then. 
You know, they don't understand that this is just a continuation, and they're going to do it again. You know, I mean, seriously. What is it you want to hit first? I want to touch on all of these, James. I want to touch on all of them, too. But actually, first, uh, before I forget, I just have a quick and easy question for you. I am going to be talking, doing a sort of follow-up to what we talked about a couple years ago with regards to newspapers, self-published newspapers. Any uh, any sign of a new edition of Freedom's Phoenix newspaper coming? Can be. We have a category. I mean, we have the templates. You know, we have several templates that we uh, publish or anybody can just take and do it. That's one reason why we did it. Um, I don't have plans, mm-hmm. but um, okay. I'm going back to Arizona yeah. and... All they got to do is piss me off a little bit, and here it comes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. All right. I was just wondering if you were working on anything, because I would be happy to promote it, if so. Um, But anyway, okay, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Corbin in the classroom, because that's a good idea. Um, I guess it all depends on what form we want this to take and in what way it would be distributed. If you can somehow display CorbettReport.com slash best of, B-E-S-T-O-F, on screen, then we could take a look at how we could think about organizing something like that. All right. So we got best of the <laughs> corporate report. There you go. Okay. Okay. So this is a lot of my stuff broken into categories, right? So you have 9-11 or COVID. Uh, you have history. You have uh, science. You have health, economics. So if you're thinking about, you know, what could I put into a Corbett in the classroom curriculum. Well, here's the different subjects that a child might be studying. A young person might be studying, right? And so we can think about how to organize it. But really, the question is what what you envision this would be, like an organized, real deal homeschool curriculum or just, hey, here's some documentaries you should watch. It would turn um, into if that. it's the latter, it's pretty easy. If it's the former, then that would take some doing. Um well, hmm. this is what I had in mind. One thing that I was thinking of is if they saw certain videos, it would get them on the right path, and they'd want to watch all the other stuff. They want to learn anything. And I'm thinking um, World War One, hmm. World War One yeah. conspiracy, how big oil conquered the world, why big oil conquered the world, century of enslavement, and nine uh, eleven trillions or something like that. But um, I didn't want to overwhelm them too much. I didn't want to get them hooked and then that be the lost leader and be, sure. you know, that would promote the other stuff. That's the free thing or, or you know, for $1.99 or to subscribe or an affiliate thing or something. You know, just a motivation for doing that. And then you have uh, all the rest of the, the best of Corbett, you know, here for – and I'm not even sure – to charge or, you know, maybe an affiliate thing, uh, some incentive or sponsored for people to be encouraged to promote it. I mean, if they don't have enough encouragement because they got kids and grandkids. But the um, I, re- I we talk about this a lot. I've been bringing this up and I'm I really I really want to get this done because I see how important it is, especially now. And whatever it I know, you're busy. I'm busy. Pilato is busy. We're all busy. But I'm willing to put forth a little bit of effort to make sure this gets packaged in such a way that I can start promoting the crap out of it when I get back to Arizona. And the reason is, is we did this. All right, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell the Stop Wars story real quick, okay, James? Mm-hmm. This is what happened. In 2015, 
what happened was there was uh, the movie sure. number seven of Star Wars came out. So I go, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be a thing. This is going to be, you know, definitely. Is the streaming good, Donna? So what we did is we had that movie coming out, and I knew it was going to get a lot of attention. You know, all the Trek, I mean, the uh, Star Wars geeks, and everybody's going to be out there. So what we did is we go, okay, we're going to take advantage of this. And we knew that it's, uh, we had a logo that we had done with, uh, we call Uncle Vader. Okay, so Uncle Vader has, you know, the top, you know, Uncle Sam's top hat on and we called it defending Archimedes dot com. Now, Archimedes is, you know, genius and I don't know, 300, 500 B.C. of whatever. It's a long story. But, you know, all the people that were extremely intelligent that I got to know over the years and so on, I always asked them, I go, what did you need in school? I mean, you know, what kind of special program? What would have been, you know, a good deal for you? And he goes, nothing. And they all just, you know, give me a beanbag chair, and I'm smarter than the teacher. They can't teach just leave me alone. Well, of course, they're dragging them out of the library or whatever and putting them in class and, you know, beating them with a rubber hose or whatever, you know. And um, so they don't need to be on a list. This was something that the Khan Academy did, and then they created all this, your permanent record stuff. Then, of course, here comes Bill Gates, and they want to get, you know, your permanent record and stuff. So I'm going, okay. Now we, what they want is just to be left alone. There's no list. There's no PAC. There's no political action committee. There's no group. There's no nothing. It's just the idea to defend Archimedes, the geniuses of the future, just get out of their face. Just leave them alone. So what we did is we made hundreds of these signs, stop wars, home educate. And the point that we were making is that, you know, how we get in all these wars and all these problems and everything, is along with the Federal Reserve, is public education or government education. So we just wanted to do this, use it as an opportunity. And we knew if we went to all the movie theaters and started passing them around and giving them everybody anything that had, you know, Darth Vader on it, they wanted to take their picture with it and all that kind of stuff. So we put them all over town. I mean, and we made a bunch of them because we knew how to do silk screening. And we had rolls of this material that doesn't rip that we could just do bunches of them. There I am. You know, that's the... Um, the temp, the uh, silk screen that we had, and I mean, we would make, God, one a minute, you know, every forty seconds or something. It was ridiculous. So there's a spool of that, and that cost us a big spool. That's probably about half the size of the original spool, and it was probably we could make, God, seven hundred signs. This is a ridiculous amount, and we just started pumping them out. And my daughter made a cake. We started doing a bunch of pictures and promotion. A lot of people would come out and help, you know, and we just put it on the side of my yard and we just, you, you make one, you screen it, you pull it down. There's one of my son-in-laws, pull it down, you cut it, you do it again, pull it down, cut it, do it again, pull it down, cut it, rock and roll. So this is the kind of stuff I bring to, you know, I want to do something. I want to get a message out. Sign, sign everywhere. Sign. So as we did this, what was interesting is the, this was around Christmas and when we had the party, a bunch of homeschoolers and their kids came. And they were just saying, we understood exactly what you wanted to do. We're in. And here's some of them. You know, they were just, you know, wanting to take the picture with it. Then, of course, around the country, people would put it, 
you know, at the military industrial complex front office, you know, Lockheed Martin and so on. And, uh, and it became stop wars. It just became a thing. Now, then we had, you know, guys waving signs, you know, to, you know, on the side of the road for some get haircut or taxes done or something, you know, and of course they love doing it and they would, you know, include that in part of their stuff just to get attention. You know, it was just, we had a lot of fun with this. The reason I'm showing this is this is the kind of guerrilla marketing that I do. DefendingArchimedes.com is just, it's not, you know, a live site that we do anything. It goes to this page. And I would do the same kind of thing for Corbett Report, Corbett in the schools, Corbett, you know, get your mind right, Corbett something. And uh, this is a Christmas card that we did for Defending Archimedes. Now, we went around all of the malls, the parking lots, and everything. Now, we did this. It's a Christmas card, and it has some verbiage on the back and stuff, too. We did this for the Ron Paul Revolution back in 07, 08 Christmas. And so we always had this artwork, and we did this with Defending Archimedes. We got a lot of attention for this. So I'm just wanting, you know, I, I don't think it works. I know it works. So it's just, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be somebody. So what I wanted to do is go ahead and talk mm. about this yeah. and how we would promote well, what the you're doing. way to do this would be to, uh, to put up a some sort of like a Stop Wars kind of thing, some kind of uh, uh, something catchy, right? And then have the QR code that would lead them to a landing page that would have a video of me explaining, you know, here's some... Here's some information you guys might need, and then just a couple of the basic links. And for more, go to CorbettReport.com or something. Yeah, something. I mean, you can see, I can make whatever signs I want. I can put whatever I want, because I want. We, I just got to want. You know, what are we going to do? So this is, um, uh, now that we can see yeah. how the pro, yeah. and then, of course, yeah. there's the newspaper. You know, we do newspapers as well. So I am willing to, and when I get back, there's already a bunch of stuff coming up you know, ready for me when I get back to Arizona. And I would love to hit the ground running with this. This would be something that would piss off all the right people. I mean, it just, they'd be, they, they wouldn't like it, wouldn't like it, wouldn't like it. And that's, and that's good. And that's good. And when we did this, it was, um, all of a sudden, the teachers' unions, teachers, you know, schools, they would, you know, rip them down across the street. They would, you know, we just put up more, you know. It, it, it was a thing. It, it, it's always a thing, you know, the kind of stuff that we do. So I want to uh, put this towards the, because I can't think of anything else that would work as well of getting the truth out in our bites. When you go to school, and you get, woo, we get to see a movie. Oh, it's a 16-millimeter day. I mean, you know, now it's, you know, CDs or whatever, or DVDs or whatever they do. But, you know, when you had the, the projector in the classroom, it was a big 16-millimeter projector. woo we're going to watch a movie. Lights are going to go down, and I can take a nap or whatever, or might be entertained or even learn something. So they easily got us for an hour. You'd watch a... You know, I don't know, for driver's ed, be red asphalt or something, you know, don't get in a wreck or this will happen to you. Or we would have, you know, some Disney thing about, you know, um, I don't yeah. know whatever the heck it was. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some history or ACLU defending Nazis or some crap like that. But the thing is, is I can see how powerful this would be, not just to the people that would look. Everybody else that would look 
because I made you look. And then the controversy starts. No, and you can't do it. You're doing it wrong. And what? A, yeah. So it's an activist thing. So how would we package sure. this? I, I would like some of them that the the lost leader that would, you know, put all the best ofs on or, you know, have and it. And I would create the controversy because I've done this before on a bunch of stuff. And I'll be the one calling in talking. I can't. Those people that did that should be prosecuted and killed and maimed and whatever the heck just to, you know, cause a ruckus. You know, that's what we do, you know. So but we have to have a yeah. package when we do it. Yeah. yeah. So comments. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, good ideas. And I think, again, I think actually the most important thing is the grabby image, like Uncle Vader or whatever, that kind of thing, and just slap a QR code on it that'll direct people somewhere. That's the, you know, putting putting up some sort of landing page for it is the easy part, but grabbing people's attention, especially in this day and age, is the more interesting part. And I don't know if I have an idea off the top of my head. You know, well, we can, you know, we did that. You know, it was, um, we put... You know, QR codes on it. That was our first, not our first, this is early days of QR codes. This is 15. When I found out you could do QR code, man, I was all over that, you know. So even when we did the, uh, you know, there, you know, we just had a big QR code. You know, Stop Wars, Home Educate. Well, what the heck? Did you, you definitely get your QR code clicked then by the guys that hate you and the guys that like you. I mean, you know, that's kind of my spiel. So I'm, um, mm. You know, do you want to think about it? Talk to James and, you know, kind of just come up with something. We got a couple of months, but I'm uh, definitely for the holidays yeah, sure. because I got the template for this. You know, I, you know, yeah. that would, what we do, we have volunteers, a lot of the homeschool guys. You just go and you put them on, you know, the cars. And I don't do the windshield, I put them in the mirror, the side mirror. There's usually a groove that you can just kind of put them there, easy to take off, and you don't have to sit in and get out and take it off your windshield wiper and piss you off. But the, um, um, so I do it that way, but we've done this a lot to the tune of tens of thousands of these. And if we do this, it will have a, an impact, whether they admit it or not, I guarantee. So I I wanted to bring this up to the audience, and you and I talk about it, so it's something that we can think about and how you want to package it. If you have the best of Corbett already, you know, here, this is a curriculum, you know, for adults probably, but, I mean, um, for anybody. And, and there's so much good stuff here. But uh, there's some of these that are, you know, tell you everything. Like a secret history of Al-Qaeda. You know? I mean, who knows that crap? So, I, I, I th- this is this is really... So, I mean, what's the likelihood that you'll work with me on this? I mean, do you want to get it done or, you know, am I just wasting my time? What do you think? I'm definitely putting the thinking cap on. Yeah. So I there's definitely a, a million ways that this could be done. My preference is honestly just to throw up a page. I, I would say something like the history lesson you didn't get in school, something like that. And then maybe just put the How and Why Big Oil documentaries together as a thing, as a video, and package that and say, hey, here's the history lesson you didn't get in school if you want more, and then direct them to corporatereport.com or something like that. Um, would you generate, um, well, we could make it a web page, you know, a landing page that has that because you would like to have in the video somehow, or at least on the page or something that would direct them to the best of, or, you know, another suggested, or if you want to know what's up, you know, this is what's up. 
And I'm not even mm. sure where to start. When you're talking to a 13, 14-year-old, they've already been indoctrinated. You know, by the time they hit high school, ninth grade, junior high, I already beat them over the head. Because that's when they start social studies. And they do it right when you're starting to go through puberty. They mm. want to get your mind molded in the direction of whatever it is that they're doing. And it takes till you're 30 to get unwound. You know, but if you can get them in junior high, it's sixth, seventh grade, around in there that you're really encouraging them to learn this real history. It'll inoculate them, you know, from all the other crap. So the first one would be, I don't know when did it start. I my order was kind of like World War One conspiracy, century of enslavement, then how and why big oil. Then you got Bill Gates, and you got you know, you know Al Qaeda and nine eleven, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. But that kind of goes back to the beginning, you know, the early days of you know what we have now is a continuation of that. You, you see my point? I don't know. What do you think? Yep. Yep. Well, no, I agree completely. I think that's that's a good starting point. Um, and anything more than that is just going to overwhelm people. Yeah, I. Well, how long is World War One conspiracy? It's it's more. It's two parts, isn't it, or three or something? I mean, how how many is uh, World War One conspiracy? Uh, three parts. Okay, World War One conspiracy is three parts. I think it's uh, maybe just over ninety minutes altogether, something like that. Uh, Century of enslavement, something like eighty minutes or so, and then um, how and why big oil is something like two hours. So, well, I remember it's a lot of info. I remember thinking they're definitely going to take your YouTube channel down because Century of enslavement. You put you know federal and it auto populate reserve and it go to you. I mean, you know, I mean, it was uh, federal reserve was definitely any search terms it was top of the list was james corbett's century of enslavement youtube for federal reserve and and i just couldn't imagine it being up that long i mean eventually they're going to get to you which they did and it was because anybody doing a report on anything that Mm -hmm. went to the internet asking a question about anything came across yours and the teachers was like damn it you did it wrong i mean you know so this is yeah. what I really want to capitalize on because I know it's time. And if they're going into a second lockdown, COVID, whatever the heck, and they already got schools wearing masks and so on, that's why most of my grandchildren just, nope, homeschool, screw you, we're not doing the mask thing. And they're going to do this again. We need some Corbett in the classroom. So I don't mm-hmm. know um, how we'll do it. But, I, you know, let's go ahead and next time we'll, we'll – We'll uh, go on the other issues now, but the next time we talk, we'll see if we've uh, sparked some. I just wanted to give you a, a taste of what we'll do, what we have done. You know, we, that's why I got defending Archimedes up is for projects exactly like this. Now, yeah. where the landing page goes, or what you guys set up, or how you want to do it, or even monetize it, or just you know make it a thing, or crowdsourcing funding, whatever. I'm in. I want to, this is it. I, I want this is one of my next, you know I could do another newspaper I could do you know more activism like I got to do the occupy thing you know we've been working on will continue and this is part of that and um so but this is the project between now and Christmas that by Christmas time mm-hmm. I want these cards you know printed and everything and we're gonna do some butt whipping but I'm gonna focus now of course we make 
the PDFs and the artwork and the vector files and, you know, for newspapers, for artwork, everything available to everybody and do what you want. But, um, uh, you know, this is something that I definitely want to put some effort towards and mainly focus on Arizona. Because if I do Arizona and, and it, we put all the effort there, it gets noticed, which multiplies everywhere else anyway. That's what always mm-hmm. happens. That's how I keep going national stuff. I keep trying to bring it back to Arizona. But yeah, um, right. so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, it could be a new revolution. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, all my stuff is like that. When they do this, the the impact that the Levolution had nationally and internationally, mm. a whole bunch of stuff like that had that kind of impact in Arizona. That's why Arizona does it's always Arizona. And it's because we do that. Gazillion signs made you freaking look. You get we did billboards, we do signs, we do campaigns, we did I go, Oh no, I get to have a say. I guarantee it. Woo go get some. So this is what I'm willing to do towards this. I just gotta have something to do it. And I'm serious about it. So I just want but I gotta have your cooperation, you know, and kind of, you know, packaging, you know, after this is the the leader, you know, what the, there's so much other stuff that homeschooler because a lot of the um, when we first started doing the Defending Archimedes, we went to homeschool conventions, of which are tens of thousands show up in Arizona. I mean, it's a thing. They go big, giant Phoenix Civic Convention Center kind of, you know, and it's just, you know, hundreds of tables. So I'd set up a table, do and kind of promote it. They have no idea what's coming. I do. So we get this set up. I'm on it. I want you thinking about it. Would you please? I am uh, already putting the thinking cap on. Don't worry about it. All right, cool. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com